members? No. Okay. Um, there's no chairperson's business as such uh, this morning, um, although obviously there's a range of issues that we will cover across the meeting. Uh, can I refer then members to draft minutes of the committee meeting of the 10th of March 2021 at page 6 of your meeting packs and seek members' agreement that the minutes are a complete and accurate record of proceedings agreed? Agreed, members? Yeah. Great. Thank you. Okay, members, there are no matters arising. Um, Chair, can I just come in for a second? Go ahead, Nicola. Um, yesterday afternoon, we had a debate in the Chamber about the violence against women and girls strategy. And part of the debate and what's needed as part of the strategy is religious, uh, sorry, uh, relationship and sexual sexuality education. Um, you know, we need that there improved. The Department of Economy, sorry, Department of Communities has um, appointed expert panels who are looking at um, the issues around relationship and sexual education. So I think it would be useful um, for our committee here to can discuss these findings with the panels. Um, because I don't think the curriculum is um, where it should be at the minute. So if we could maybe arrange that, please. Yes, absolutely, Nicola. We we have uh, planned in our forward work programme to receive a briefing from the Department of Education on RSE. However, we could invite any relevant Department for Communities officials that have been working on the issue as well. Um, we've obviously heard from... Bring in a second, Justin. Yep, we've obviously heard uh, from SIA on the... Uh, the learning materials and an RSE hub that they've created, but all of us will have serious concerns with regards to the lack of standardised, consistent approaches to RSE. I raised the, um, the matter with the Education Minister in the most recent Education Minister question time, um, and I actually further to the briefings that we are going to receive that the committee to consider bringing forward a, a motion in relation to RSE to have the number really a properly to be minister and an opportunity to set out what work he is undertaking, uh, particularly with the Justice Minister and with the implementation of the given recommendation. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a really useful suggestion. Justin, you want to come in on that as well? I think you're on mute, Justin. Thanks. Yeah, just on that issue, Chair, um, I asked the Education Minister last year um, whether he will bring forward, as a written question, whether he will bring forward an initiative to raise awareness and educate young people about domestic violence and the importance of respect in relationships. And he responded that I can confirm that these issues are already covered within the Northern Ireland curriculum under the Relationship on Sexuality Education, RSE, as you mentioned. Over the last number of years, my department have provided the earmark and has provided earmarked funding to the Council for Curriculum Examinations and Assessment to support the, the production of RIC resources and guidance materials, particularly on a range of sensitive topics, including domestic violence and healthy relationships. In June 2019, CCEA launched its online RIC hub to facilitate access to these resources. This approach enhances the teaching of RIC by providing teachers with resources and support to increase their competence and confidence in this area. I provided further funding in 2021 um, 2020-2021 to enable additional resources to be developed and added to the hub. It is of course a matter of 
for schools to decide which of any of these resources they use to inform the development and delivery of an RSE program. So I agree it's something we need to challenge further. Um, and whilst it is there, um, I don't think it's, it's really put enough emphasis and enough focuses on it at the present. Yeah, Justin, I think some of the text in that answer um, goes to the core of the matter. I think the, the minister said um, if, um, in relation to the use of the resources, it, it can't be left to if. Um, it, we need we need standardised, consistent, coherent RSE and an appropriate minimum content order in place for that. So um, th this committee is taking this issue really seriously, clearly. Uh, I think once we've heard those briefings, then I think we should bring forward a, a motion um, calling for a more standardised approach. And obviously we can work on the detail of that, but um, I think that that's a helpful suggestion from members today. Thanks for that, members. Okay, members, any other matters arising? Nope. Okay, just while we're waiting to start our first briefing from the General Teaching Council, then um, can I move us to agenda item eight and correspondence and ask the clerk to speak to the correspondence. Uh, I can refer members to page 134, where we have 17 items of correspondence and a summary note available at page 136. So that's 134 and 136. We, yes. we have our um, okay, that's great. Okay, well then we'll, we'll suspend correspondence, we'll move into our briefing and, and we'll deal with correspondence once we've had our, our briefing. Thank, thanks for that notice, Clark. Okay, members, then we are at agenda item five, our oral briefing from the General Teaching Council. Can I ask Assembly Broadcasting to remove all members from the spotlight and to add our witnesses? Can I refer members to a briefing note? on the General Teaching Council from Sam Gallagher, the Registrar and Chief Executive Officer, tabled today. A briefing note from the Committee Clerk at page 15. Previous correspondence considered by the Education Committee at pages 18 to 25, and a record of uh, our informal committee meeting with the Northern Ireland Teaching Council uh, in relation to the General Teaching Council on the 9th of March 2021 at page 25. Can I welcome then Sam Gallagher, the Registrar and Chief Executive of the General Teaching Council for Northern Ireland. You're very welcome, Sam. Can you hear us okay? Nope. We can't, we can't hear or see Sam as far as I'm aware there, Clark. I think you might be on mute as well, Clark. Can Assembly Broadcasting bring the clerk into the spotlight, please? Yeah. Yep. Sorry, I was muted. Um, so okay. Broadcasting um, have added Sam to the spotlight. Um, and I don't think I can hear or see Sam. I, I, there's a screen for Sam, but it's with his name. And a, yeah. and a black screen is what I'm seeing. Yeah, so um, I think he's on a phone line. Um, I'm not sure what the problem might be. Ah, here we go. Can you hear us, Sam? Nope. No. No. 
obviously, is there any advice that I can get from broadcasting? Okay. Hello? Hello? Hi, Sam. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you now, Sam. We can't, we can't see you. Are you on a phone line? Can you hear me? I cannot hear anyone. I have no sound here. Okay. We can, yes, we can, we can hear you now, Sam, but it doesn't appear that you can hear us. We, we can, can see you now, Sam? Yes? Right. You, you can hear me, but I can't hear you. I have no sound. I don't know why. Clark, I think you're on mute. Sorry. The volume, the volume is up. <laughs> okay, if, Sam, if you you bear with us. Okay, members, we're just trying to communicate with uh, Sam via a text message here to help him address his audio issues, if you'd bear with us momentarily. Yeah, so it's to do with um, Sam's speakers. Um, Are you just communicating that to him, Clark? Yep. Yeah, I'm just I'm messaging again. Um, Headphones might help, so okay. Sam, are you having any joy at all? Can you hear us now? For goodness sake. Hello, yeah. good morning. I'm supposed to be, it's Sam Gallagher here, from two executives from GTC and I. Can I ask uh, broadcasting to, be, to uh, Sam at the spotlight while we're seeking to resolve these issues? Thanks. Thanks for that broadcasting. Okay, Clark, shall we go back to correspondence uh, while we're waiting for those audio issues to be resolved for Sam? Yeah. 
Yes, let's do that then. And can I ask Assembly Broadcasting to bring members back into the spotlight and take us to agenda item eight, correspondence. Just to remind members, that's page one three four, page one three six. Remind members that you need to mute when you're not speaking, or we will now be able to hear you as well. There needs to be Daniel. That, that's you. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry, how are you doing, Chair? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing okay. Just um, technology is letting us down so far this morning. Um, so we're moving to correspondence, but just reminding members if you're not speaking, um, put your mute on so we can't hear any conversations and also a way we limit the feedback as well. Okay, well, well, you want to... a version of Good Morning Strabane there for we were just having our morning update. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll move you on the Education Committee correspondence. Good man. Clark, you want to speak to the correspondence? Thank you. Yeah, um, members, item 8-2 on page 139 of your packs is a response from the department indicating that uh, FETO, which is the Fair Employment and um, uh, Equal Treatment Order, is the legislative responsibility of the Executive Office um, and that any amendments to the legislation are for the Executive Office to address. Um, the department is working with TEO to consider the matter further. Um, but recognises that the issue will only proceed with strong political support. Um, as you'll recall, the committee has also written to uh, the churches and sectoral bodies, um, so we anticipate the rest of those replies um, after Easter. Um, that being the case, um, what would you like to do just at this point with uh, this letter? Clark, I propose maybe we write to TEO if we haven't already done so, just to ask what uh, action they are taking um, in relation to the exemption of teachers from TEO and whether they have any plans to uh, remove that exemption. Members content with that? Agreed? Great. Okay. Okay. Thank Thanks, members. Um, item four on sorry, item eight four on page one hundred and forty four is a response from the department um, to a letter uh, we sent on behalf of a student on teaching and coding, um, and the department indicates that it has previously responded to the original correspondent, um, and provides a copy of that response. Members, are you content to note that and uh, reply to the original correspondent? Agreed. <laughs> Great. Thanks. Mm -hmm. um, item 8.5 on page 151 is a response from the Department of Education on action to support integrated education. Um, the department states that it doesn't promote one school sector over another and has provided links to area planning guidance. Um, the department also answered that all board of governors, boards of governors have equal standing um, regardless of the sector. Um, and refers to the details regarding membership of boards of governors which are set out in legislation. Um, the department points out that it's a matter for those who have nomination rights to decide which individuals to nominate. Um, are members content to note that um, and forward it to the Integrated Education Fund? Agreed. Great. Thanks. Thank okay. Um, item 8.8 on page 161 and item 8.9 on page 163 
our correspondent from individuals regarding St Mary's High School um, Brawa. Um, our members content to note those and write to them, um, indicating that the committee has already written to the Education Authority about this matter um, after its last meeting on the 10th of, of March. Yeah, if we, if we could advise that we've written and that we will update them on receipt of the response. Yeah. I was content with that. Okay. Yep. Um, item 810 on page 164 is correspondence from the Chairperson Liaison Group um, forwarding a letter from the Committee for Justice on concerns about the Executive's decision to allow a condensed committee stage uh, of the damages return on investment bill. Um, the committee stage is normally 30 days um, with potential for an extension and in this case um, the timings uh, that the department is proposing would, would only allow 27. Um, so members, I'm not sure what your views might be. Would you like to note that? Or? Members content to note or any comments? Content to note. Okay, thank you. Okay. Um, eight, item 811 on page 170 is correspondence from Parent Kind. Um, seeking to brief the committee on its recent survey of parents um, about supporting learning from home, psychological well-being of parents and young people, and school return. Um, members, um, if you wish, we can ask for an early copy of the report um, with a view to arranging a, uh, a, an informal or formal briefing on the survey. Yeah, I'd agree, I'd agree with that, yeah. Yeah, member, I'm, I'm just, just thinking, would it be worthwhile... I've obviously endeavoured to ensure that our, each of our meetings is focused on a, on a particular key issue. Would it be worth uh, thinking a formal briefing session from parent as, as engagement with parents and perhaps considering also inviting uh, the likes of the NI as well? Yes. I agree with that. Are you thinking in terms of a formal or informal? Um, I, 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 I think I think a, I think it merits a, a formal briefing, um, given uh, the increasing acknowledgement of the centrality of parental participation to education. Uh, okay. Could, could we look at the forward? Could we look at the forward work plan and try and maybe get that in uh, as soon as possible? Because it'll lose value um, the closer it gets to the end of the, the term. I think you're right. Uh, I would support that. Um, and if we can do it as soon as possible. Okay. Thanks for that. Thank Members, content with that approach. Agreed. Okay. Thanks. I'm having difficulty. There's a lot of. Background noise of some sort happening there. Okay, if I could just just, just remind members if, if they can mute their microphones when not speaking. I I can't really mute mine given how much you have to listen to me. Apologies, um, but if anyone who's not speaking, if they can mute their microphone, that sometimes reduces feedback to some extent. But I am hearing quite a bit of feedback. In Okay, Clark. Okay, um, so uh, that was parent kind. Um, item eight twelve on page one hundred and seventy seven is a response from Fermanagh and Oma District Council to the com committee's action on seclusion and restraint. Um, 
Members, are you content that we should reply to the Council um, indicating that the Committee has taken evidence from parents and written to the Department on the matter and that we'll keep the Council informed? Yes, Clark, I would agree with that, yeah. Thank you. Um, item 813 on page 178 is correspondence from Northern Ireland Forest Schools Association. Chair, um, Chair can I get next? Sorry, sorry Evie. Um, I, I was waiting for you to come in quick enough just on that last item. Chair, can we just bottom out the, the, um, the issue with regard to the motion uh, on seclusion and restraint? I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's been sitting there as an all party motion and, and we've all signed up to it, but are we going to maybe change it to a committee motion? Would that be fair to have the discussion now? Yeah, well, you, friends, and the business committee don't seem to come on this. So, um, yes, I would gladly submit that for consideration of committee members for being brought forward as a committee motion instead. Um, and if I supply draft text for that for our next uh, committee meeting for members to consider and agree that, contemporary. Yeah. Yes, Chair. Thank you. Okay. Actually, I'll supply draft text to the clerk for sharing with members and we can agree that as soon as possible. Okay, that will be faster. Thanks. I believe that committee business would be scheduled after executive business, whereas um, all party motions might be further down the prioritisation list. So, um, okay. Uh, so the, on the forest schools then, I began to say, um, item 813 on page 178 um, is correspondence from Northern Ireland Forest Schools Association providing a link um, to an article about the schools. Um, the committee has already agreed to visit a forest school site, um, when it, but unfortunately it's not possible just yet. Um, so members, do you want to uh, note and acknowledge that and um, let, let the correspondent know that the committee has agreed a site visit, which will take place? Agreed. Agreed. Thanks. Thank you. Item 816 on page 183 is correspondence from Apple seeking to brief the committee informally on its work in education. Um, members, would you wish to arrange an informal meeting with Apple? Yeah, members, I had uh, had some engagement with Apple, and it, obviously you'll recall that the ended and I group of teachers doing really a in our educator team. I'd be to take an informal briefing from Apple and addition to education issues and other members are. Great. Thanks. Okay. Item 818 on page 185 is a response from the department indicating that the minister has received um, the same correspondence from OMA Learning Community as the committee did. That was regarding funding for the Engage programme um, and it had several queries about Engage. So a, a copy of that reply is enclosed um, and I think uh, some of the issues that Robin raised yesterday actually are answered in there. Um, members, yeah, you can well, to note that then um, and write to the learning community. Yeah, I agree. I just agree with you there. Robin raised a helpful question yesterday with regards to the program. And in addition to the minister's response, there is more quality in that particular correspondence as well. Chair, there's a lot of feedback there. And it's echoing. Okay. I can only hope that this is improved and 
Um, that's the last of the correspondence, actually, Chair. Um, so that being the case, if members are content, we can dispose with the other items um, as per the summary note at page 136. Agreed. Agreed, members? Agreed. Thank you. Thank you, Clark. Okay. We can move to agenda item five then, our briefing from the General Teaching Council. I think they have resolved our connectivity issues with Sam. Is that right, Clark? We could ask Sam Broadcasting to take members out of the spotlight and bring Sam Gallagher into the spotlight. Um, yeah, Sam has logged off and, and is rejoining. Um, okay. Yeah. The technology gremlins are at their work this morning, unfortunately, members. Thanks for your patience. Um, we could discuss forward work program if you like, Chair. Okay, Clark. We'll move to agenda item nine and our forward work program. Can I refer members to the draft forward work program at page 191? Uh, Clark, do you want to speak to the forward work program? Um, yeah, so there have been. Um, uh, there's been some information come through from the department um, about uh, scheduled dates. Um, the, the committee scheduled uh, as an item on the 21st of April about SEND framework consultations um, and uh, consultation on the regulations and code of practice. Um, the committee had scheduled that a week after uh, a similar a presentation on the same topic by the Children's Commissioner. <coughs> So that we would have heard from the stakeholder and then we could hear from the department. Um, so apparently the responses are so um, uh, dense um, that it's going to take the department some time to work through and they won't be able to bring that to the committee until um, May, later in May. Um, so I, I wonder are members content to reschedule these at the end of May or early June? Um, and instead, we could have a general update from the Children's Commissioner on the 14th of April, um, as they've had quite a bit of work on two strands, um, the uh, still waiting uh, mental health services report and the SEN framework. Um, that's one of the decisions then. Um, a general Sorry, update. I was on, I was on mute, Clark, apologies. Oh, okay. So, there is feedback yeah. off my audio, apologies. I'm not yeah. sure how to address that. Um, are members content with that reschedule? Yeah, yeah so the, a general update from the Children's Commissioner on the 14th of April. Thank you. Um, then um, on the, we're populating really the forward work programme for May. Um, and it seems to me that some of the priorities the committee um, has, has wanted to look at are flexible school starting age, um, relationship and sexuality education, and bullying in schools. So we could schedule those on the 5th, 12th, and 19th of May, respectively, and perhaps hear from stakeholders um, at those meetings as well. Um, 
earlier in the meeting, members talked about parent kind. Um, equally, so we could do that on one of those dates. Um, Robbie, you were saying that you would like that very early on. Yeah, I, th I think uh, the earlier we have the better because we lose value. A lot of the hard work that we've done after we're speaking, we make it early. I don't want to effort on having the value for this term. Um, I think that, okay. that's important. I, I agree. Um, however, I would say that I think we need to hear from the department on flexible school starting age as early as possible, um, RSE, and perhaps we could insert parenting um, at that stage and then add uh, bullying, the anti-bullying legislation after that as well then. Would members be agree, agreed with that scheduling? Sounds like a plan, sir. Thanks, sir. Sure, absolutely. Just, absolutely, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just wondering, are we fitting anything in and around the uh, restraint and seclusion again at any stage in the future? I, I, I think we've taken evidence from uh, parent uh, representatives from the department and we should be seeking a, an update from the department, absolutely. Um, although I would hope that we would be bringing forward a, a motion I would, I would hope that that would be in April, if not early May, when we'd receive a, an update from the minister. But I'd be content for us to schedule a, a stock take and an update from the department um, in that May calendar or early June, if, if it has to go to that point as well. Does that sound okay, Pat? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I know, I know we have planned the motion to go in, in front of the assembly. But we do need an update of some sort from the department that, that I would be interested in. Uh, activating that if we can. Thanks. Okay. That's agreed. That's agreed. Uh, thank you. Robbie, yeah. We have the Children's Commissioner on the 14th. We discussed it around that Children's Commissioner. So the Children's Commissioner obviously will have a, uh, a voice on this, a quite powerful voice. So I think that would be, in terms of if, if, the, co if the committee want to intimate perhaps to um, Kula, that that might be something as well as the SEN framework uh, when she's presenting that that's something we might like to hear from, from her on. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Agreed okay. Okay. Clark, so just, just to recap, uh, you have flexible school starting age, RSE, parenting, bullying in schools, and the restraint and seclusion as the, the issues for us to forward work program. Justin, do you want to come in as well there? Just, just in terms of special educational needs, can we have a session on that on how? Uh, children and young people and families have been impacted throughout the pandemic and how they have been helped to recover and catch up? Yeah, absolutely. Clark, if I'm right, we have the Education Authority on Special Educational Needs on Wednesday, the 21st of April. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, and we did okay. also, Justin, have those other, you know, send framework items that have been put back now. So, yeah, is they'll, there a particular... They'll be added. They'll be added. In, in, later in May, Clark, is that right? Um, yeah, or early June. Um, early June, okay. But I think um, Justin is suggesting stakeholder groups for saying, is that right, Justin? Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyone in particular? Parents groups, well, I can't think off the top of my head the name yeah. of the parents groups, like, for sure. Okay. You, yeah, and the strategic leadership group for special school principals is, is probably a body that we'd like to engage with at a future date as well then. Okay. 
Justin if, and, and other members, if you want the forward details of any related uh, stakeholders in relation to special education needs, happy for us to consider forward work program and engagement on those. Okay, and members wanted the Children's Commissioner to also address um, restraint and seclusion and special educational needs, so I can um, uh, ask her about She'll be glad to do that. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, okay. So the other thing I just wanted to mention was that um, we've, just to keep in step with the budget and estimates process, we'll have a briefing from the department um, around the end of May on that and I thought it might be useful to have a research briefing from um, on the education budget maybe on the 26th of May just to prepare um, our thinking. Yeah, members agreed. Yeah, Chair, can I also add, uh, I think uh, a number of months ago in, uh, with the principles, the special educational needs principles leadership group, I think the, the issue of the um, provision of another uh, school, special education needs school for Belfast, that was discussed. Um, it kind of, I think, has fallen off the radar somewhere. Maybe we could seek an update on what the current provision is. My understanding is that uh, uh, it was a number of years ago was planned for... North Belfast, I think, initially, but I'm sure the wisdom will be that it really ought to be in East Belfast. Um, I'm being a bit facetious there, but uh, I, I would think maybe just an update on where that department's thinking is on that provision. Okay, if we can maybe write to the department and the education authority for an update. That was a 2012 proposal for an additional school in Belfast, Robin, so that, that we, we've, we've absolutely put that on the agenda. Okay, thanks for that. Okay, and in terms of research briefings then, um, we do have research available about flexible school starting age, because obviously there are different approaches to that um, in other jurisdictions. And um, Robin asked um, for uh, just information about uh, poverty, you know, parameters. So free school meals is one of the main ones that we use, but obviously there are other kinds of um, working poor and that kind of thing. So we have got some um, research on that for, for him. Um, so we'll circulate that after Easter uh, alongside these, uh, these business items. That's great. Okay, members content to agree the Ford Work Programme as amended? Content, Agreed. Agreed. Thanks, Thank members. You. Okay, Clark, third time lucky, is it? I hope so. <laughs> um. <laughs> okay, agenda item five uh, is our oral briefing from General Teaching Council. Uh, can Assembly Broadcasting remove members from the spotlight and add... Okay. Sam Gallagher. I think I hear great stuff. Hello? Hi, Sam. Morning, Sam. Can you hear us now? I can hear you now. My apologies. For some reason, you could see me and I could see you, but I couldn't hear you and you could hear me. So That's okay. Um, We've, we, 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 we conducted some committee business, so time was not lost. And apologies for any inconvenience to yourself there on those arrangements. But... Um, Welcome to the Education Committee. We we're look, look forward to hearing from you today in relation to the, the General Teaching Council. 
Um, we'll, I think we've advised you have up to 10 minutes to make opening comments, and then we'll take questions from the members. Thank you. Okay. okay. Um, well, as you know, uh, members, I sent you uh, uh, a briefing paper, which I hope you, you received, uh, um, which give you an outline to the, 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 the council. Um, as you know, sorry, really three things I want to bring out. First of all, the council's remit which was it was set up to be an independent an independent body um, that it would be the professional body for the teaching profession in Northern Ireland and really with a remit of three things, which was really to, one, maintain a register of teachers um, and then set the criteria then for registration. Uh, secondly, to regulate the profession uh, as a professional body would do um, and the third area was really around promotion of professional standards, promoting of professionalism, and then providing advice to the department, etc., and the minister on areas relating to uh, performance of teachers and, and to the professional and professional standards. So that's what the organisation was set up to do. Uh, really set up in in relation to the 1998 order, which set out the provisions for the council. And then in 2001, regulations set up the composition of the council. So the council is made up of 33 members. Uh, and of those 33 members, you've got uh, 14 elected teachers. Uh, they're elected by the profession to sit on the council for a four-year period. Um, you also then have a, a 15 members that comprise nominees from various uh, bodies across the education sector, such as uh, CCMS or that representatives from EA or representatives from the higher education institutes. Uh, and in addition to that, there are four ministerial appointments to the council. Now, currently, the council is uh, three persons down or four persons down uh, on that complement relating to really the, the, the ministerial appointments. There's only one ministerial appointment there at present and one member of the council uh, recently resigned. The current council came in uh, to take up position in October 2019. In relation to regulation, professional regulation, uh, the rules governing or the powers that set out the powers of the council in this regard are the 2015 uh, regulations. And really what that says is that the council in, in terms of professional regulation has uh, really only one sanction and that is the removal of a teacher from the register for life. And the, that in addition, the, 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 uh, the council can, uh, own, will only regulate in areas of uh, gross misconduct. So we don't regulate it in areas such as professional competence. So it's only in, in position of gross misconduct. So that's the only sanction that the council has. Uh, and on the basis of those 2015 regulations, the council um, began to put forward and implement a process um, to progress professional regulation. Um, this happened before I came. I've been with the council now just over two years as, as chief executive registrar. Um, no doubt you'll have questions about regulation, but in theory, we were, you'll see in the briefing paper, we had an approach um, agreed with the EE to take forward regulation, but unfortunately, in, and that was agreed and adopted by Council in January 2019, but unfortunately, following legal review of the process and uh, review by Council of, we've received legal opinion 
that the process that was advocated, which was going to be independent of council members, um, is not fit for purpose, given the, what is the restrictions within our um, legislation. So, in other words, the council cannot devolve responsibility to any body or persons outside of the council and committee outside of the council. Legal opinion indicated that uh, a number of deficiencies within the regulatory framework, and they relate to not just the range of sanctions, um, because we've only got one sanctioned, and therefore, in that case, the council will only take forward those those cases whereby, um, if you like, that the sanction would fit the the offence or the situation. Um, therefore, one could argue that the council is not really regulating in the interest of the profession. Um, and therefore, you know, where other bodies, similar bodies to yourselves in Wales and Scotland and the Republic, who we work closely with, they would have professional bodies would have a range of sanctions that they are available to them. Um, so therefore, we really couldn't take regulation forward the way we envisaged without changes in, in, in legislation. So that's what we are awaiting. So we regulate in terms of our process as far as we possibly can at the moment. So that's the area around regulation. And I suppose the third area of the council really is around its operations and governance. Uh, and I say that the council, the council on, on, on paper of 33 members, um, and we have a staff of about 15, at the minute of 13 uh, staff. So it's quite a large council to oversee uh, what is relatively a small organization. Um, but we have experienced um, let's just say operational issues and governance issues uh, within the council. That's not unique to my tenure um, as the, the council ended up in special measures in 2016, 2017. Um, there's been a couple of reviews undertaken by the minister and the department uh, into GTC and I. Um, they made certain recommendations. Uh, when I came, I was taking some of those recommendations forward Unfortunately, the council has found itself in special measures again, and we have monthly review meetings with the department, uh, and uh, we need to work to resolve some of those issues. I think some of those issues stem from uh, maybe the inherent construct of the council. Um, I think the concept of the organisation is sound. When you look at similar organisations in Wales and Scotland and the Republic of Ireland, uh, they uh, are very beneficial and operate in a way that's very constructive for the profession. Um, so I think the concept of the organization is signed. I think, however, the construct of the organization um, is something that um, has been identified before and I think needs to be addressed. And I think some of the, the situations we find ourselves in are experiencing have their origins just in the, in the construct. So that's sort of a brief of where where we are as an organisation, and I'm more than happy to take you know answers as best I can the questions of members of the committee. Thanks for that, Sam. Um, can you hear me? Okay, yeah. I can. Can I can I ask uh, first, um, just just out of interest and information, why the new council members joined you this morning for your presentation? Um, well. I mean, I, I only received notification of uh, of the formal invite uh, on last Thursday afternoon, uh, and um, in looking at the uh, 
the, re the remit and what you wanted to cover, and also the fact that uh, quite a lot of our, our members, including our chair, are teachers, uh, and obviously the situation of schools just going back. I mean, I felt it was sufficient enough for myself to attend. Okay, uh, and obviously we'd be glad to schedule different timings if that helps facilitate uh, wider engagement with other members. Um, but th thanks for that uh, response for now. Um, I, I'm going to need to be straight this morning, Sam. Um, the, the committee have been engaged on the General Teaching Council and we have engaged with uh, stakeholders on the General Teaching Council and it, it's a fairly disturbing and concerning picture that is being uh, painted to us. Um, and in summary, um, we have been, it's been communicated with us that in its current format that it's not working, that teachers are not entirely sure what it is for uh, and that a, a new body is needed, which you, I think you allude to in some shape or form yourself there in terms of the, the construct and the format of the General Teaching Council. So. I think you're, you'll find that the, the questions are in line with, with that um, summary this morning. But to ask specific questions, can I, can I ask you um, why the General Teaching Council is in special measures? Well, I mean, the, re the reason why we are in the things that I can only really speak for my tenure in the council and the things that 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 I have experienced uh, while I'm there. I think um, there seems to be. I think we're in special measures because the department has been receiving has been received of a considerable amount of correspondence and still receives information or a considerable amount of correspondence relating to council business uh, and. Uh, it's also received a number of whistleblowing complaints, and also that some of that, some of that, you know, regrettably, some of that correspondence related from the council itself. And I think uh, I think there seems to be a propensity in some areas to want to conduct the business of the council uh, outside of the council um, rather than deal with matters. Uh, that would be internal to the council internally, uh, and I think I think we're in special measures, largely because some of these things have affected the day-to-day oper -day operations, and I think the department and the minister are concerned at the level, given the relative size of of GTC as an NDPP, um, that that you know the amount of resource that it's consuming the amount of correspondence it's getting is raising concerns and i think that's where that's where we have we have been okay i think and, okay members might want to probe that further but who 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 bears responsibility for the special measure situation well i don't i don't think it that the responsibility for special measures lands lands solely on on myself as chief executive i think i think it, it lands between the council and the council and myself you know there are issues that have to be we have to address and we have to take forward so i think it's a combination i don't think it lies in any one particular particular place that that seems sensible i suppose i'm asking where does it lie then well, I think there's an element. Uh, there's an element of this uh, 
situation has arisen from within, I have to be honest, from within the council. Um, I can't speak for individual members, but it's quite clear that elements have surfaced from within the council. Okay, conscious there are no council members here as well. Um, yeah. How, how, and, how and when will the general teaching council exit special measures? Well, the minister has, has instigated a further review of GTC um, and I, the wheels are turning to put that review in place. I would suspect that that review will complete um, around the late summer. And I think on the back of that, that, um, you know, whatever recommendations and action will be considered to be taken. I think in the meantime, all that can happen at the minute is that we've got to try and take forward some of the operational issues, progress some of the operational issues and uh, recommendations as far as we can. And I think that, that the council itself needs to be a bit more unified and to work in conjunction with myself to, to try and address that. I mean, okay. frankly, the council at the minute is quite divided. Divided is one word that's been given to us. Another word is dysfunctional in relation to the General Teaching Council. Is, is the General Teaching Council in its current format dysfunctional and, and or can it be reformed? I think I, you know, if you're asking my honest opinion, uh, having been, I, mean, I came to the organisation with no history of it. I'll be quite frank. Uh, I've been there uh, over two years now. Uh, my honest opinion is that the construct there are inherent difficulties within the construct, and I think that you know those create that construct creates an environment where dysfunction can occur. Uh, and uh, I think it, the, part of it is to address it. The structure of the council needs to be needs to be addressed in the future. That said, you know the council in its form could work, uh, but that's really down to the uh, the leadership within the council. Uh, it also is down to you know the 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 ability of individual members to work together. Okay. to a common purpose around the goal. So it could okay. work, however, okay. but there is inherent there are inherent problems in the structure. Okay, I'm, I'm over my time because we're short for time this morning, but I think the most serious issue here is obviously the, the General Teaching Council is responsible for regulation mm -hmm. and professional standards in education, which at its core is about children and young people. So it, is the General Teaching Council currently able to regulate misconduct um, and are and and if not adequately regulate misconduct and if not are any children at an increased risk as a result of that well first of all in answering your question i would say that um first of all the general teaching council the council is established to be the professional body for teaching professions so it should do what professional bodies do, which is part of it is, you know, there's a gatekeeping role in terms of protecting the profession around professional standards and also protecting entry. And obviously in, there's a regulatory function that goes with any profession. Um, the council, of course, because they're statutory, we do have a role to play in the safeguarding of children, but the council is not one of the prime, prime, if you like, the prime actors in the whole safeguarding arena. 
their other bodies around that, but we do have a complementary role to play in that. So to answer your question, can we fully regulate at the minute? No, we can't. I have to be honest, no, we can't because of the nature of current case law and the legal advice that we have received means that um, we would be subject very likely to significant challenge uh, if we proceeded uh, along the regulatory way that, uh, in line with our legislation and we an independent way that would be consistent with what other bodies bodies do or how our sister bodies operate. So okay. we can't we we cannot go to fully regulate. Now does that mean that children are at increased risk? Um well we still get referrals and we monitor those referrals and we risk assess those referrals uh, and where the employer process is finished, you know, we would we would highlight where we think a, a risk may exist. But but that's that's really as far as we can go. Okay. Extremely concerning. I'm over time and I'll, I'll ask members to try and stick closer to our, our five minutes for question, but I wanted to ensure that uh, a range of okay. extremely important issues were, were covered today. Can I bring in Deputy Chairperson Pat Shane, MLA, please? Thanks. Thank you, Chair, and thank you, Sam, for your presentation this morning and answering questions. I'm, I'm very concerned about that last question and it appears to me that you can't actually say that children are not at risk as a result of the dysfunctionality of the General Teaching Council. Would you agree with that? Um, I wouldn't agree with that entirely because, you know, there are mechanisms there to safeguard children. We will only act, we will only act on the basis when an employer process is is complete okay so employer has the responsibilities to do undertake their disciplinary action refer any matters of gross misconduct then on to relevant authorities such as the disclosure and barring service or or whatever and uh, we will we will regulate at the end of that process where we're in situations of gross misconduct now, in situations of gross misconduct it's probably more than likely that a teacher has already been dismissed um, where we haven't been notified or there's been no conviction or where we've been notified that uh, from the disclosure and barring service that someone has been barred, then we will investigate and obviously in theory it would go through our own regulatory process and we would make a decision based on on the evidence and due process now that decision would be the only decision we've got of sanction which is to remove someone from the register from life for life yeah, I, so, I understand that i understand that sam but I mean, there clearly are uh, deficiencies in the whole system. And as a result of that, there does, on the face of it, appear to be an increased risk to children. Can you categorically say here now that there is no increased risk to children? Well, I, 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 wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say that the risk is significantly increased. What I would say is that Yes, we are not in a position to regulate fully as envisaged. So does that mean there is an increased risk? Um, where, where, for example, a, a, a teacher or someone was to not face disciplinary, uh, 
and resign and remain registered with the council, then one could argue that there there is there is an element of risk there. Um, but is it significantly increased? I would think it's not significantly increased, provided that the other, you know, organisations within that safeguarding arena. I, I didn't. I, I didn't use the word significantly. However, uh, let me move on, uh, and let's deal with uh, a scenario where uh, a teacher has uh, failed in terms of their professional standards, but it doesn't reach the threshold of gross misconduct. In those circumstances, is there an increased risk that the learning experience of children could be uh, damaged in some way? Um, I cannot, I cannot, I couldn't comment on that because it would be the nature of the employer who have followed through their due process. And if they have not reached a conclusion in their disciplinary process and the teacher remains in the classroom, you know, um, we would have not acted in that particular case under our current uh, under our current legislation. Um, you know, it would depend on. You know, if we were if we were regulating on a range of sanction or a range of areas which was around professional conduct and not gross misconduct, then you know we wouldn't be acting if it wasn't gross misconduct and, and the likely the teacher was dismissed. So in that situation, we would have no bearing on it. So yeah. it would be no different to what currently exists. And, 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 and I understand that you can only act in the case of, of gross misconduct. But tell me, what actually happens today if uh, the standards of a particular teacher drop below the standards that are expected? What, what process takes place? Well, in the first instance, it's for the employer to, to, uh, who, to deal with that, that teacher's performance. If it's a performance matter, they would deal with it through their normal disciplinary processes. Um, uh, that comes first. If they feel that there is a case that it warrants referral to the GTC and I as a professional as a professional body, they would make a referral to us. But we would not consider the case until the employer process was completed. When the employer process is completed, then we will make a, a judgment as to whether whether the, that the particular referral is within our jurisdiction and whether the referral, uh, you know, is in line with the sanction that we can we can offer. Therefore, it's worth taking forward if it amount to a significant allegation. So, in the sense at the moment, it, it's really the employer process comes first. Uh, they have they have and a duty. I'm sorry for cutting across, and I apologise for my own ignorance in this uh, particular matter. Uh, but in terms of, for example withdrawn registration or suspending registration of a teacher who has responsibility for that at the minute um well registration sits with the gtc and i but we cannot we cannot suspend someone's registration we don't have the power to do that we've only got the power to remove them from from the register for life so that is our responsibility but we would only do that on the grounds of significant misconduct yeah. and, and what i'm asking you is to whom does the responsibility fall, given that the General Teaching Council doesn't have those powers? Well, primarily it sits with the employer at this moment. And as far as registration is concerned, um, the, as I say, the registration side, it sits, sits with ourselves, but we can only do that in the case of, the, an, uh, of a significant 
a significant case that we would we would take forward in our, through our regulatory process. Okay, thanks, Thad. And one one final question. Just um, you said the concept of the council was sound, but that the construct was problematic. In what way is it problematic? Could you explain that to the committee? Well, yeah, well, this is partly my 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 opinion. I think if members want to get a sense of how effective um, a teaching council or a professional body for the profession can operate, I think you only have to look at you know the Republic EW, TCI in the Republic EWC in Wales and the General Teaching Council of Scotland and see the sort of things that they that they do. Um, so I would point you in that in that direction. And far as our, our own council is concerned, the first thing is, I suppose if you look at, and I, I, this is meant to be, you know, I'm not putting any slight on personalities within the current council, I'm just speaking in a generic sense. The first thing is that apart from the ministerial appointments to council, there is really no control over, if you like, the quality of the membership or the experience of the membership come forward. So the fact is, if, if you look at whilst there's teacher representative and they're elected, they're elected by their peers, but that 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 is that is that on the basis of their mandate. And you know, frankly, we have got some teach members on our current council whose whose stated mandate is they wish to close the organization down. So that 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 doesn't necessarily prove helpful in the first instance. Okay. So there's one level of mind control yeah, exactly. and privilege. Nice. All right. Sorry? I'm going to need to keep this moving here. Sorry, Sam, thank you. Okay. Uh, just one second. It's yeah. a very quick question, just to clarify in, in, in regard to an earlier question. In, in, in terms of the employer dealing with uh, an issue, um, the, the employer in terms of the school or the, the, the managing authority, they don't have the uh, power to uh, withdraw registration at all, do they? No, no they Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Chair. Pat. Thanks, Pat. Thanks, Pat. Robin Newton, MLA. Robin there, okay. Okay, thank Chair. Yeah, okay. Uh, thank you and uh, thank you to uh, Mr. Gallagher for, for being with us today. Um, you're obviously aware now this is going to be a very negative uh, press coverage uh, in the next few days, um, and that's a great pity for such a, a noble profession as, as the teaching profession. Obviously, the members of the committee were concerned when they received an informal uh, briefing, um, and the words that have been previously used by, by others uh, describing the functionality or dysfunctionality of, of, of the body were of uh, great concern. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm at least pleased that uh, there is a review uh, being undertaken that uh, I think you had indicated Sam would uh, report uh, later uh, this, this year. Um, I do think Obviously, the body, the, the teaching profession, needs a professional body. Uh, it, uh, uh, and previous speakers have indicated the, you know, what happens when you have a, uh, a teacher performing uh, very badly uh, and little action 
can be taken against that teacher from remaining in the in the classroom. And obviously that has a knock-on effect to the pupils uh, within the guidance of, of that particular teacher. But I'd really like, Sam, if you would outline to us, and you've referred to other professional bodies in the teaching profession, uh, what would you see as the um, uh, building blocks of actually arriving at a professional body that would indeed perform the role uh, uh, of, well, uh, the role of a professional body uh, for, for, for the teachers? Uh, what, what, what would need to be put in place for that to be effective? Um, well, in answering, in answering your question, I mean, I believe that the purpose of the council as set out, as set out in the uh, in the legislation, is pretty sound because that 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 um, in terms of you go back to the primary legislation, is is pretty sound in terms of what the role of the organisation should be, and that would be consistent with with similar bodies in across the the UK and in Ireland. Uh, so in that sense, I think I've already touched on. I think I think. And it's been highlighted in previous reviews before I, my tenure in TTCNI that obviously the, the 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 composition and size of the council is something that 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 would need to be addressed. Um, I think the council has found itself as a non-departmental public body. Um, I think, and again, this is my personal view. I can understand why it's a professional an NDPB, but I think that that can be restrictive to a degree on its operation. I mean, the similar bodies across the UK and in Ireland are not non-departmental classed as non-departmental public bodies, so they have a degree of agility. I think I recognise that the council needs to get a greater sense of ownership by the profession. Um, the risk of being, as an NDPB is that you're seen to be an arm of the department, um, and really it's about greater ownership with the profession. And I think you know, in terms of what's been set out in our corporate plan and the vision that we have for this council was to move forward and the activities around, you know, being supportive of teachers. So things like, you know, we've already set, you know, competence standards for teaching, which which are reflected in informing, you know, ongoing professional development and onto the initial teacher education programs and form that. So, those, in a sense, competence or, or, or in a sense, standards, things like a code of practice, professional practice, things like supporting and encouraging and, and trying to facilitate ongoing professional development. So it's a culture of professional, ongoing professional development within the profession, uh, as well as obviously registration and the regularity functions, which a professional body should have. So really the things that need to be addressed are really the things that have come out in the previous recommendations, and I have no doubt will come out, or previous reviews come out in this review, and that is around the structure, that is around uh, you know engagement, greater engagement with the profession. Uh, it's about proper regulatory powers and a proper range of sanctions similar to what other professional bodies have. So those what I would say are probably the main things that would enable the organisation to move forward. We're doing a bit of an end, I mean, when I came, we're looking at doing a, a, an, a, an internal restructure 
which is to try and move the organization to be increasingly outward facing with the profession. Because I, I think that a lot of profession uh, have, a, have maybe a, the wrong view of the GTC and I, and they'll look at it, what does it do for me as a teacher? Well, how does it help me? And that's what we should be there for. We should be okay. saying they should feel, you know, that they have an ownership of. Sorry to have to keep us moving this morning due to time, but Robin, do you want to ask a final question? Thanks. Uh, no, I think Sam has uh, placed some degree of clarity in my mind. Really, I suppose it's only about time scale. Turning the oil tanker takes a long time, uh, and obviously you don't have the time in these circumstances to do that, Sam. But a report by the end of, I think, did you say September or something? I mean... I'm only guessing, and this would be for the department to uh, okay, right. this for that. But then a time scale to implement any changes means you're in a bit of a limbo situation as those are all implemented. And they, what uh, the profession then suffers um, as a result as a result of that. So I think my, my only real, I mean, I concur with the sort of steps that you suggested should be put in place and the work that needs to be done, but Timescale and delivery is the important one. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that, Ron. Can I bring in Daniel McCrossan, MLA, please? Thanks. Uh, thank you, Chair. And uh, thank you, Sam. Thank you for being with us today uh, and for uh, the uh, report that you uh, provided uh, to us. We, we, we appreciate it. Uh, I, I've listened to questions from other members and I am quite concerned, Sam, about the issue of keeping children safe, given the current situation that the council uh, faces. Um, so if an employer uh, process concludes and a teacher, Sam, is dismissed due to a professional conduct matter, misconduct matter, but GTC uh, cannot uh, regulate, is there a danger that a teacher could get uh, teaching employment elsewhere, perhaps even in another jurisdiction as a result of that? Um, well, let's deal with the other jurisdiction. Um, were there, were a teacher were to go to, in such a situation, would go for employment in another jurisdiction, um, across the, the regulatory bodies across the UK and TCI in Ireland, um, we, they would contact us about, uh, any, any details around that teacher's registration. So there is a level of communication and interworking that goes on between between the various regulatory bodies. Um, however, you know, if, if, if a teacher was to, you know, uh, either on a situation of gross misconduct, re either resign or in the end be, dis be dismissed, um, without the, with, you know, in the absence of anything, a, say, like, say, for, for gross misconduct, a conviction or, or uh, the disclosure and barring service, taking taking uh, action uh, as it sits within our current uh, legislative framework, uh, we are limited in what we can do. Um, so is there a risk that they would they, they could work somewhere else? I have to say there probably is that risk, but it's for employers to make sure that they do the necessary checks um, in terms of before they would appoint anybody. Um, yeah. Uh, I appreciate your honesty in relation to that, uh, Sam, but 
the difficulty is if the GTCNA cannot regulate, there's a clear gap there. Uh, and um, if there's nothing, if you like, on record against a particular uh, teacher or if a process, due process or a process hasn't been followed as a result of the limitations uh, on yourselves at present, uh, then it obviously does pose serious concerns for the safety of children elsewhere in certain circumstances, depending on what the uh, misconduct was or, or, or what, what the issue was. So, yeah, I have concerns, but I've had concerns about this for some time, to, to, be, to be honest. Simon, I've been following uh, what's been happening with the uh, GTC uh, and I've been, uh, been uh, updated, I suppose, by the department as well because I've sought continuous uh, updates in relation to these things. I appreciate things are not easy, to put it very mildly. I mean, we, you know, let, let, let me reassure the committee, you know, the, the council wants to regulate. We want to fulfil our full statutory duties. Um, but, you know, we, it, we need to take cognizance of legal advice. And, you know, regulation is an expensive process. And, uh, you know, we do not receive any government funding. Um, you know, we're funded purely through registration fees that, 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 that teachers, teachers pay. Um, Therefore, you know, you've got to act, uh, you know, in a, in a sensible fashion. So, you know, we act and, and take account of legal advice. And the legal advice at the moment says if we were to, you know, we can't put in a proper independent regulatory process, right, because we don't have the power to do that. So that would come into question. And if we follow a regulatory process within, within confined within the council, then there's current case law that exists that we would fall. We have a high percentage of falling foul on and be challenged on, as well. So you know that's the legal advice that we're we're getting. So we're you know yeah. we had that legal advice department. Department equally got a second opinion, got that legal advice. So that's unfortunate situation we find ourselves in, pending legisl revised legislation. Uh, thank you, Sam. J just um, on another point, unions have reported to us that unregistered teachers are teaching in schools here. To your knowledge, is this correct? And if so, how many teachers? And uh, what problems would this pose? Uh, and what can the GTCNI do about this issue? I'm not aware of that situation, uh, that there are unregistered teachers teaching in schools. Obviously, the first part of call it's the is the employing authority. Um, in terms of employing teachers, need to ensure and follow the rules that the teachers must be registered with the General Teaching Council to, to teach. So uh, that's first and foremost. So I'm not aware that there of, of that situation uh, existing. Um, and as far as we're concerned, you know, uh, where people are checked, uh, we follow registration, our registration process. And, you know, where you know, employers can check the register uh, can ask us questions if need be, uh, so you know can find that information out quite readily. Is a teacher okay. registered? Uh, Sam, we, we have heard alarming reports about the way the Thank council. You, final question, please, Daniel. Thanks. We have heard Thank alarming reports about the way the council currently functions. The word dysfunctional has been suggested to us on, on many occasions. Uh, can you tell us, from your perspective as chief executive and registrar, was there a significant dispute, Sam? over the process that led to the election of both the current chair and the vice chair of the council? And second, have some council members reported bullying and harassment by other council members? 
I have to be honest and say yes. You know, I'm aware that some members have feel that feel that they are being harassed. I said, was there was there a process in terms of the election of the chair and vice chair that was in dispute? Uh, yes, there was. And you know, in my role as as chief executive, I provided the council with an independent report um, uh, on that election process and and made, that contained recommendations to to the council what should be done about it. Um, and uh, unfortunately, council, in terms of decided otherwise not to not to not to follow the advice in that report. So, from the start of this current council, there has been a feeling um, of, uh, let's say, difficulty, and um, you know, uh, in regarding that process. And, and just chair, okay. just complimentary on this, Daniel. Yeah, please, thanks. Thank you for your honesty, Sam. Do, do you get the impression that disputes at council meetings are orchestrated? And is council able to conduct business as a result of the disruption? All I would say is that uh, trying to progress council business at recent meetings has been very frustrating. Yeah. Do I feel that it's been orchestrated? Um, as I said before, I think, you know, it's not uncommon knowledge that there are members on council who have different views about how the organisation should function, what its role should be, or if it should exist. Uh, okay. There are members who quite clearly stated that. So I think you okay. get the outworkings of all of that within council meetings. Okay. Thank thanks, you. Sam. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, bring in Robbie Butler, MLA, please. Thanks. Thank you, Chair, and um, thanks, Sam. I hopefully won't use up my full five minutes because I think certainly the most important questions have been asked, and that's in around child safety. So, Sam, thanks for your presentation. Um, I have a, a couple of questions. I'll just ask them if you can come to them in, in, in turn, if that's okay. Um, so, you took up post a couple of years ago. You, you've sort of learned a lot, obviously, about probably what were historic problems and so on. And as you've said, GTC and I are in uh, special measures. Could you uh, indicate to us? Uh, in terms of the priority order of the issues that you believe uh, that are most significant and need to be addressed as priority. And I think at, when you give your presentation, you talked about delegated authority uh, within the DTC. And I could you uh, outline to me um, what that means within the context of DTC and I and, uh, and how that, uh, those, uh, what those authorities are and how they are delegated, please? Okay, I'll take that your latter point first. In terms of the reference in my paper to, to delegation, that links back to the primary legislation, okay? And really filled, it falls within the area, I, I cited that in relation to the area of professional regulation. The council in, in the primary legislation can delegate its responsibilities to the chair, to the chief executive or the registrar, myself, or to a committee of council. That's all that the legislation allows. Okay, so therefore, what follows is that uh, if you look at a lot of professional bodies and how they do regulation, they have regulation is fo followed through investigation or hearing by usually a independent process. Okay, um, so they would have independent members that would do that and would, would make that decision or recommendation to the council. So. Because of the nature of that legislation, we cannot do it. So the council hasn't got the power to do that. So therefore, the council wasn't in a position legally to, to be able to implement a regulatory process that that would be fair and balanced. So that's where the delegation comes in, and, then, and that, that's the context that I made that reference in in, in my briefing to you. 
okay, what needs to be done then uh, immediately? I think we've touched on it already. There's the issue around legislation. So legislation, quite clearly, in the area of regulation, needs to be addressed. And uh, I mean, the legal advice has already highlighted the areas that need to be considered. So it's about range of sanctions. It's about fitness to fit, fitness to teach, consideration of fitness to teach, and it's about the powers to actually undertake a regulatory independent regulatory process. So, so that needs to be addressed. I think that. Uh, the immediate steps then are really around the recommendations that come out of previous reviews and what come out of this review, I'm sure, will be around the construct of council. But in the immediate term, I think the council itself needs to um, needs to work better together, needs to have more of a shared pur purpose, and we need to set some priorities of what we're going, going to do and address, because uh, at the minute, the relationships are not working. Uh, and are problematic, and that's what's causing, causing, causing some difficulty. And I think we need to progress some of our operational matters. And those operational matters have all their grounding in the current corporate plan, which has its grounding in the recommendations that came out of previous reviews. So that's what I've been trying to do is take forward. I still think that there's a, a plan of work to deliver, and those are the immediate things. And the, and the immediate focus is about you know, m removing out of special measures. However, I don't think that's going to happen in the short term until this current ministerial review is complete and a, a direction is set beyond that. Um, just finally, uh, I think you touched on it. Uh, I think we picked up on it certainly in our, our, our previous um, discussion with other bodies in this. The relationships really are not good. Um, do you believe that if the mechanical changes were implemented, legislation and so on, um, uh, what would be required to to, uh, to re-establish the, the, the confidence within the partner bodies of GTC and I? Um, well, I, I think I think the vision is there. I think if people see the corporate plan, I think there's anything in our corporate plan and our role in it that that other other organisations across the sector uh, wouldn't say would be valuable to the sector and would be supportive and create a degree of partnership working. Though I mean, I've had views expressed to me about, I've had no views expressed to me by any sectoral bodies that says that the organization, a professional body for teaching does not have a role within the sector. I have not never heard that said to me. Um, so I think we need to progress on that. Um, but I think we need to move forward on on the on 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 the on the basis of the review. So I think the key thing would be around the construct and the construct okay. of, of, of how, how maybe the composition of a council and the appointment on how a council is appointed, I think needs to be considered. And I think that's that to my mind is a funda a fundamental Okay. Final question, Robbie, are you okay? I'm good, Jared. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Robbie. William Humphrey, MLA. Uh, uh, good morning, Mr. Gallagher, and thanks very much for your uh, your attendance this morning and your candour. Um, can I just ask, how many members would your organisation have fully signed up, paid up, or whatever? Okay, um, I'm not sure what you mean by members, but I'd say registered teachers in Northern Ireland, it tends to be the registers about 27,000. It tends to be static in around 27,000 teachers. So, so there's 27 registered registered teachers in around that in around that amount. As I indicated, the council is 
set up to comprise 33 members. Um, and really, as a professional body, we're, you know, we'd probably be a small, we'd be classed as a small, medium enterprise or an SME really of that size. So currently, you know, there's a core of about 15 staff um, and that will be what we've seen moving, moving forward um, because we've got to live within the income at the minute. But as I say, within the council, there is a, there's also an inherent financial constraint uh, within it as well. So, so you have 20, 27,000 registered teachers. teachers. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, how are those 33 members elected then in the council? Well, they're not all elected. 14 of them are elected by through the profession. So there's various categories. If you look at the, the, the 2006, 2001 legislation, you'll see the composition of the council and how the various categories for election. So there's an election process that we run independently and members get elected on, 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 that, on, that, on that basis. Um, there are 14 appointments, there are 15 appointments that are made through nominees. Four of them are ministerial appointments, so they are recruited. So they will go through the public appointments process, so they will be interviewed. Of the remaining uh, 11, those are uh, people who are then nominated from various bodies, so they are be people who have been asked from those bodies to, to volunteer to sit on the council. So you would have, for example, from the, the non-teaching council, the unions would have, the NITC will have five representatives, or one from me representing, I suppose, each of, the, each of the unions on the council. So it's made up largely of four people who are interviewed and selected, uh, 14 people who are elected, and then 11 who are nominated. Okay, so how then are the officers elected, you know, chairman or whatever, are they, is it the, the, the 33 people who each get a vote or how does that work? Yeah, so within, within, within the, uh, what we did in, that we, it, in our governance framework, it says that the council will elect a, will, will elect a chair and a vice chair. So that was done the last time through, uh, through an election process. Okay, so in terms of the running of the organisation, then you, you as chief executive, how does the how does the governance actually work? Well, I mean, it's not no different from I suppose any other, uh, if you like to use the term business or organisation in relation to the board. Uh, I mean, the board appoint the board stroke council appoint me to run the organisation on a day to day basis on their behalf. Um, so I'm responsible for the operational delivery of, of the objectives of the council and the corporate plan of the council. Council's role is strategic and um, setting the direction and my job is to deliver that. So you're answerable or accountable to the to the 33 members? Not, yes. Not the way okay. Yeah. In an earlier answer, you talked about um, in terms of some of the internal difficulties that I think it was along the line of questioning from the chairman. You talked about elements in the council. Could, can you expand on that? I mean, obviously, we do, I don't want you to go beyond what you can say in terms of confidentiality or whatever, but you know, that does sound there's a, quite a fissure within the organisation. I think I can only speak from my experience, but you know, whilst, whilst the council has adopted a corporate plan uh, and sets out the strategic direction to 2023, um, I would say that there's not a cohesive view, if you like, 
uh, across the council as to exactly the role of GTC and I. You know, there's like a spectrum. I've, I've said this before, even the council members, there's a spectrum that goes between GTCI, GTC and I as a body set up by the Department of Education, whose job it is is to register and regulate teachers on behalf of DE. That's what they, and some may take the view, well, DE should be doing that. Why are teachers paying for that? To the other extreme or the other end of the spectrum, which is GTC is the, 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 is the professional body for the teaching profession and is there to enhance and promote the teaching profession. And it happens to be given that education is such a high degree of public interest and public and money involvement that some of its functions are statutory. You know, so that's the spectrum. So you'll get, I believe that there are views that one ended towards one end and other views towards the other end. So there's a lack, I think, a lack of a clear consensus as to what the role of the organization is. And I also think that, and I don't think it's any secret, you know, there'll be that there are members who have elected members, for example, on councils who you have come with a very strong view as to what they, their views of what the organization should be or the future of it, and see it as that that's their job to, to carry out. There's also maybe a difficulty where people come in and say, I, you know, what's I'm here to represent a particular interest group as opposed to saying, well, actually, I'm a nominee to come on the board here to run an organization on behalf of teaching profession per se. I'm not here just to protect the interest of, you know, the control schools or EA or whatever. So so I just detect that, that it's quite a big board for such a small organization. Yeah, it does, 33 does sound very unwieldy for, for, for any board to be and um, as someone who's worked to boards before and previous employment, I, I, I sympathise with you and there weren't 33 members of it. Um, I mean, it does, is there a cohesiveness? It does sound uh, as an organisation that potentially, um, I won't say riddled with division, but certainly isn't at peace with itself. Would I, I think it, that's, a fair, that's a fair assessment. And I think that that brings me back to the point around the construct, because the you know, because the construct, you know, we're in recruiting to a board, say, say, for example, the board of an FE college or any other board, it, things are done through public appointments or there's an interview process. Because of the way the GTs construct, there is really no control over, if you like, the experience or the mix of the people that, the people that you, you, you can get on the board and the views, therefore, that, 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 that come from, um, you know, and you know, people stand for election on a platform and, you know, if at the end of the day they get elected, they get elected, you know, and uh, it's, it's just, I think, a, a result of the inherent, the inherent construct, really. Okay. Okay, thanks, William. Thank you very much. Thanks, William. Nicola Brogan, MLA. Thanks, Chair, and thanks, Sam, for um, appearing here today and for your evidence. Um, it's clear that um, there's a lot of challenges facing the council and I'm glad that actually these issues have been highlighted and that's a good thing. Um, other members here today have mentioned their concerns about how the council and the dysfunction within the council is affecting children, which is obviously the most important thing, but I'm also concerned about how it's affecting teachers. Um, really what I'm wondering is what, the, what benefit being part of the council has for teachers and can you maybe outline what services the council provides for teachers that warrants their the fees they pay themselves and the funding that the council receives, please? Okay, well, you know, 
I, you know, I came to this 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 organization to say with no history of it. Um, but having said that, I believe, you know, my wife has been a teacher long standing, and I believe that the profession deserves a professional body and should have a professional body, and that the professional body is there to you not only promote the profession, enhance the profession. Uh, and a professional body does that in a number of ways. It does that through promoting professional professionalism, encouraging uh, ongoing professional development, supporting and facilitating that. That's what it should do. It's there as a gatekeeper, and it does that through its registration and through its regulatory processes. So I think it benefits the profession in that way. Um, that's chiefly what its role is. I, I fairly admit that maybe that message within the profession and on is, is, is somewhat lost and is somewhat somewhat tarnished, but that's chiefly what it's there to do. Now, it can only do that within the funding that it receives, okay? So we can only do that to making that pot of money work to the greatest effect, uh, and there's challenges, there's challenges around that. But, you know, I think that, you know, when people look at, the uh, the work, of, as I've said, I've looked at the work of Scotland and Wales, who I work closely with, and in the Republic, and there is no doubt in my mind of the benefits that it brings to the profession, the, the profession overall in those jurisdictions. And there's no reason why that a similar body in Northern Ireland couldn't be couldn't deliver in terms of uh, of the same the same benefits. But Sam, I suppose that is the issue. We're concerned about teachers in the north and what they're getting from the council. So that's all well and good that uh, teachers in Scotland and Wales not get it from their body, but the council here should be providing it for the well, teachers here. Well, the things that we're doing at the minute is that, you know, we do do teacher registration and we do that very well. We do accredit the HEI programs in, in in Northern Ireland. So there's an element with the profession that's determined that those are fit for purpose. So therefore, students coming into the profession can be, you know, we work closely with ETI on that, so can have the confidence that, that the programs that they're following, that the profession recognizes uh, are, are worthwhile and fit for, fit for purpose and worth their investment of their time. Um, we have the work around the teacher competencies. We're working at the minute as part of the learning leaders program. We're heavily involved in that in terms of developing leadership competencies uh, that really ha will help to inform uh, ongoing teacher professional learning and professional development. And we, you know, we wish to fulfill a lobbying role and working in partnership with learning to raise the teacher's profession and to improve professional standards. Um, so those are the things that we do. I fully accept that, you know, when, when, and part of it is about, we need to get the message out clear, but part of it for teachers saying, I pay my £44 for rent, what do I get? And that's very much where, where teachers are, what does it do for me? And I think there's work to do on that, on that message. But, uh, you know, certainly I wouldn't devalue the fact of, of the value of teacher registration and the other aspects of the professional body we should aspire to be doing. I think you're right that you need to get that message out more clearly because I think I, from speaking, some teachers feel that they feel like well, it's just it's a mandatory thing. We just get registered and that's it, but we get nothing from the council. So maybe that's a, a job for yourself. Can you um, just tell me then what kind of funding you get uh, apart from the street or the teachers' fees? What other funding you get, and is how do you think is it put to good use or what? Well, at, at present, at, at present, and historically. The council has never had. I mean, the council, 
the council was set up, as I said, as the independent body, an independent professional body for teachers. In other words, teachers were given the opportunity to have their own professional body. Yes, certain of the certain of the functions of that body, there's a statute requirement to it, but that's not unreasonable given the nature of education. That is not, you know, similar things apply within the health sector, for example. So there's nothing unusual in that. Um, so, and the, the organization has the ability to raise its own income. Uh, now, what happened was that, that fees were set in 2004. Those fees haven't changed since. So the organization has been living with, if you like, a flatlining income. And over the years, obviously, costs increased through staff salaries and inflationary costs and all of that. So, so you know, in what the council can do with, within its current budget is limited. And, you know, it's part of my responsibility on behalf of the council to ensure that we operate as efficiently as we can and we maximize those resources. So at the minute, teachers pay £44 registration fee, okay? So we get that from 27,000 teachers. So we're roughly about £1.2 million a year. We don't get any other funding from government, although we're in NDPB. And what that means is that all of that, our funding is then absorbed within the accounting process of the department. So in a sense, we need to get approval to spend our own money. Okay, it's a bit of an anomaly, but that's the way it is. Um, so our aim is to use that money to best effect. But in we have, we've talked about, we've got processes around regulation to do, or sorry, registration to do. We will have processes around regulation to do. And obviously we've got the other aspect of promoting professionals. So we've got to try and do what we can within that, within that income. And also look at how best we could maybe generate income ourselves from other things that would enhance what the organization does. Thanks for that, Sam. And I, I think you're you're one hundred percent right that a professional body does have the right to generate income um, from the members of the body. But my, I suppose my point is, I feel like some teachers might feel like they're not getting, um, you know, getting enough out of what they, they what they pay for. But I appreciate that. Um, so thank you for that, and thank you, Chair. I mean, that's an inherent. Just to add, Nicola, that's an inherent tension of any professional body you know it wants to do things but at the same time nobody wants to put all the costs onto their members so I know, but there are, at the same time there are serious concerns about how this uh, council is functioning so right. i know yeah so i think it's a relevant point to make that's fine thank you for that sam and thank you chair thanks for those important questions nicola and i think uh, justin might touch on uh how the professional body should be viewed by its members as well. So can I bring in Justin McNulty, MLA? Thanks. Sure, thank you. Um, you read my mind. Um, Sam, you're a, bit, you're a bit like being thrown to the lions here today, are you? On your own? I don't think I should be um, for an organization for... That doesn't particularly, it doesn't particularly worry me, Justin. To, Sam, to me, to me, that's a bad sign, Sam. That's a bad sign. Where the head of the organisation is out there on his own with no backup, no, 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 you best say, no, no, you stand beside him. I think that's a bad sign. Um, and the, the reason I say that, and we're touching what the chair has mentioned there. I met, I met with the institution of civil engineers in recent weeks, another professional representative body, and they were inspiring. They were engaging. They were ambitious. They were adventurous. They were very, very proud of the, the body they represented. Uh, huge integrity, huge enthusiasm, and ambition. And I'm just not seeing that. I'm not feeling that, Sam, from, from 
your organization, which should be hugely proud, should have a huge degree of integrity, should have passion about his representation of the, of the, the hugely important profession that you, profession that you represent. And there should be a, there's a huge element of prestige and esteem attached to association with the Institution for Civil Engineers. I'm not getting that from the ACT. Why is that, Sam? Your, your values on your website, integrity, passion, excellence, Sam, I'm not getting that. I don't feel it. And nor do the teachers, nor do the, the, the teaching unions. Well, this, is, this is dragging on now for a number of years, Sam. This is going on for how long? And the, 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 there's different ministers. What is going on? What is, what's the toxicity that's there that's holding this organization back? How can it change? When is it going to change? Or how long is it going to drag on? It's just, it's just, the, the, the organization needs to just be stopped, killed dead, and reconfigure, re, 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 um, restart. What is going on, Sam? Okay, Justin, uh, I can only give you my opinion from my tenure, okay, and my understanding. If I'm being honest with you, I empathize with you in the views that you've expressed about, you mentioned about the Institute of Civil Engineers. Yes, that's an aspiration that I, I would have. When I came to this organization, I, like any organization I come to work in, I believe in it. I believe in its purpose and I believe the good it can do. I've already cited what you can see from similar organizations in, in, other in other jurisdictions within the UK and Ireland. I don't think it would be a difficult thing for GTC and I to catch up and to, to, to do those things and to be engaged. All of what you've said would match an aspiration that I have for this, for, for this organization. Um, I think you're right. There are things that have been a recurring theme that uh, have predated me in this organization and has proved problematic. Um, as to why, well, I've, we've already alluded to, I, mean, I don't think I'm saying anything new. It's been in previous recommendations that there's an element around the construct that caused, that, that gives rise to these things. But maybe, maybe, you know, there's other opinions that I have come across whereby, you know, maybe people have said to me, you know, you're, you're not, you're, it's not your job to represent teachers. Um, maybe, People, you know, maybe union teaching unions feel threatened by a professional body. Maybe they feel like there's no need for another standards body. I don't see as that's that that's really what primarily what we're one of the main things we're about. But you know, we don't see. I don't see that the, the, the professional body of teachers is a trade union or should be engaged in those sorts of activities. So it's there, there to 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 be representative, promote, and to enhance the profession. Um, I don't see as getting into terms and conditions of employment or anything that that's not within our within our remit. So, um, yeah, I think I think all I can say is just in your aspirations and things you you picture you painted. I think that's what we're trying to move to, forward towards. That's what we're trying to do. And the circumstances in trying to make that happen are very challenging, and that's all I can say. Um, would you say that the GCC is uh, upholding the integrity of the teaching profession as is? I think it's trying to. I think it is trying to, and I think um, I think we are trying to. I think that issues that emanate from council and various things do not paint us in a very good light. Yeah, well, there's, there's things we mentioned already from various members. There's problems with you know, dysfunction, bullying, um, 
meetings going on for hours with nothing, no items of business actually being addressed. Um, and given the structures, Sam, I can empathize with how challenging that must be. So uh, there's a degree of sympathy for, for your position on this. But at the same time, how is it going to be addressed? Is this going to keep dragging on? The ministerial appointments, the four ministerial appointments, Sam, can you tell me about them, please? Sorry, Justin, could you tell me about that four please? ministerial appointments on the okay. There were four there are four ministerial appointments on the council. When I came, um, there was only two, there was two vacancies um, that existed. Then we transpired into the new council, and there they were the two two appointees that were there um continued into the new council. Um, one of them subsequently then resigned. Um, shortly after the, the, the setup of the council, they had concerns about just around the way the council was operating, so they resigned. Uh, and I understand that DE have been seeking to enact a process to appoint the uh, the three remaining nominees to council uh, in that regard. So um, I think that process is ongoing. I think the department officials, you know, I have a close working relationship with the department officials. Uh, I think they're they're aware of the issues. Um, I mean, they can only, I suppose, act within what they see as their remit and what's in their, their, their powers to do. Um, but um, I'm fearful for I'm fearful for the short term um, as to, you know, I, I don't disagree with you regarding regarding your description around business meetings. Progressing business has proved difficult. Um, um, and I'm a bit fearful as to how um, things might move forward and the sh things will improve in the short term, if I'm honest. Final question, Justin, please. Sorry, finally, Church. Is this yes. dysfunction working both ways? That's, that leakage of dysfunctionality seems to me to be both ways because there's no ministerial appointments. You only one of your four ministerial appointments. They're active within the, the committee. Um, and... You know, dysfunction is there within your committee. There's no no doubt about that. So it's, it's there's no way taking this by the bull by the horns and saying let's fix this. Let's get this this, this well. Put, I think put back I, properly. I think to be fair, I think to be fair, Justin is that you know the fact that the minister has instigated a review and that action is being taken uh, would suggest that the, I, I think D is taking the matter seriously. I don't think there's any foot dragging. I also don't think that you know if if we were to get it would be welcome to have, you know, the, the full complement of council in terms of the, the, the department nominees and appointments. But I don't think those three three individuals would be a panacea to uh, address all of the, the issues that were being encountered. So, okay. you know. Very quickly then, Chair. Uh, okay. Sam, thank you. It was not easy to sit for us today. And uh, I think it's very important to state how wonderful and powerful and positive profession the teaching profession is and how lucky you are Absolutely. to be representing the body of that profession. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for adding that, Justin. These are these are not this is not scrutiny of teachers or criticism of of, of teachers. This committee has uh, has supported and thanked teachers um, throughout its tenure, particularly in the current challenging circumstances. Um, Sam, sorry that we are so pushed for time today. Um, I apologise for the earlier difficulty. No, we, we adjusted. Um, there are um, there are a wide range of issues there for us to follow up and um, 
hopefully you'll be uh, content for us to remain in contact with you on those. Yep. Okay. Thanks, Sam. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, Clark, uh, can I ask Assembly Broadcasting to remove uh, the witnesses and to add members back into the spotlight? And Clark, can you summarise any actions uh, resulting from the briefing? And I'll ask uh, members to uh, have think about whether they want to propose any actions as well. Clark? Um, certainly, Chair. Um, I suppose in the immediate term, um, the actions are for members to reflect in the next um, session uh, with the departmental officials um, on what they've discussed and what they've learned um, from their session uh, with Sam. Um, the committee has covered a lot of issues there, um, starting with um, the, the powers that um, the GTC should have and those that it does not have. Um, the I'm, I'm content if it might be more suitable for us to consider actions after the next session then. Does that make sense? Unless there's any real key in there? Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, the first, uh, first action for me, sorry that my audio is digressing so much when we talk about this part of the meeting, folks, but um, I do think we may need to invite the chair and the vice chair of the General Teaching Council to attend the committee as well, because um, I'm conscious that is um, a key aspect of the council. Members agree or have any other comments? Yeah, the chair, I can just come in. Yeah, sure. I have to say, I appreciate, I appreciate the honesty Sam uh, gave in the presentation, and I appreciate also that the circumstance which he, as chief executive, thinks himself would not be easy. Um, I think it is important that we're based on this committee. I'm also conscious that there are members that stand election that very large board of uh, individuals deliberately to and disorganize it. So the thing does need reviewed. There are people there deliberately to cause chaos. And I have no shame in saying this. That poor man must be under immense stress from what I'm hearing and seeing uh, uh, with this, this council. It's, it's by no means the chief executive's fault, but I can say there's individuals there that are definitely poisoning the chalice deliberately. I think a key question for the department will be in what way they are adequately supporting um, staff and, and members of the council, given the yeah. current state of affairs in that council. I didn't want to make it too personal uh, in relation to the, the, the chief executive, but I, I think your your concerns regards duty of care and health and well-being in the situation that we're being described is is a is an important issue, Daniel. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. uh, and Chair, I think it's important too that we ask for an update from the department in relation to the review that has been carried out and that the department keep us as up to date as possible in relation to any progress or process that, that they're going through in relation to this. Okay, Clark can note that then. Members content that we move to the department? I think it might be that there might be other actions flowing from that. Uh, members content? Yeah, okay. Okay, thank you, members. If I can move us to agenda item six then which is our briefing from the Department of Education on the General Teaching Council for Northern Ireland, and ask Assembly Broadcasting to remove members from the spotlight and to add our witnesses. Can I refer members to a briefing paper from the Department of Education at page 29, 
Should I refer to any other tabled items, Clark, or is that adequate for now, the briefing paper from DE at page 29? Yeah, okay, that's great. And can I welcome then Alison Chambers, Director of Promoting Collaboration and Tackling Disadvantage at the Department of Education, and Alan Boyd, Head of Teacher Education Team at the Department of Education. You're very welcome, officials. And you have up to 10 minutes for opening remarks and then questions from members. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chair, and thank you to the committee for inviting us along today to discuss the issues relating to the General Teaching Council for Northern Ireland and the difficulties which have hindered its attempts to begin regulation of the profession. In the briefing paper provided, uh, there is a historical timeline for DTCNI's efforts to regulate the department's support for those efforts and the key legislative challenges which have emerged. The briefing also outlines the collective efforts by the GTCNI, the department and departmental solicitor's office to find a way through the current impasse and our roadmap for how we propose, albeit not immediately, to finally resolve this situation. It should be noted that these efforts have occurred while the council has also been seeking to implement wide-ranging improvements across almost all of its business areas. The department's concern about the breadth of improvement needed and of the slow progress being made in resolving these issues led us to impose enhanced scrutiny on GTCNI and the council has spent a large part of the last six years in special measures. They were first placed into special measures in December 2015 due to a range of governance and staffing concerns and as part of this the department had to appoint a series of senior officers to serve as interim chief executives between March 2016 and June 2018. During this time, the department commissioned a wide-ranging organisational review of GTCNI undertaken by an external consultant, and this identified continuing organisational weaknesses and made 17 recommendations for improvement. The council subsequently endorsed an action plan to address the recommendations and asked the department to release it from special measures on the basis that this provided a roadmap for moving forward. This argument was accepted at the time and special measures ended in September 2017. In hindsight, that perhaps shouldn't have been the case. Since 2017, progress in the implementation of the action plan has been limited uh, and the department has continued to receive onerous levels of correspondence, complaints, and requests to intervene in the day-to-day -day operation of GTCNI. Minutes of committee and council meetings during this time also reflect few productive outcomes and increasingly fractious working relationships between council members. The council was reconstituted and began a fresh mandate in October 2019. It was hoped that this would improve matters, however, that this has proved not to be the case. The election itself uh, was flawed and, and divisive, uh, and since the reconstitution, the department has continued to receive extremely high volumes of communications from council members, alleging continuing leadership issues, a lack of common purpose and strategic direction, a lack of skills, a frustration at the perceived lack of timely decision-making, allegations of a lack of transparency in actions being taken by both the chief executive and the chair of council, and accusations of bullying, harassment, and the deliberate undermining of council staff and officers in the execution of their roles. The depth of challenge facing the council at present is perhaps best illustrated by its corporate risk register. 
This details 10 key business risks, including ineffective governance and accountability, failure to exercise proper stewardship of its resources, business continuity planning, ineffective information management, teacher regulation, ageing and unsupported core IT platforms, and staffing and HR concerns. The risk register is regularly reviewed by GTCNI's Audit and Risk Assurance Committee and reported to the full council, but despite efforts to mitigate many of these risks, the residual risk scores against all 10 remain a major source of concern, with six having a residual risk deemed critical and the other four high. Largely because of this, GTCNI is also identified as a source of concern within the department's own corporate risk register. In response to all of these factors in September 2019, the permanent secretary at the time established a monthly oversight meeting between himself, the GTCNI chair, vice chair and chief executive to more closely monitor live issues within the council and the progress being made against GTCNI's key business objectives. When this additional scrutiny failed to deliver any substantive improvements, the council was placed back into special measures in November 2019. Um, and I would note, um, since this time, the volume of FOI requests, subject access requests, whistleblowing complaints have demanded a high and disproportionate level of the department's staff resource. Collectively, these issues led Minister to conclude in October 2020 that a further independent board effectiveness review of the council and its committees should be commissioned. Tendering for this work is currently underway and we expect to appoint a contractor during April with a view to completing the review before the end of the summer. Uh, and I would add that that process was significantly expedited um, with the help of CPD. The committee has previously asked the department why the delay in teacher regulation had not been brought to its attention sooner. Um, and I just highlight that a number of concerns regarding GTCNI, including teacher regulation and the reintroduction of special measures, was provided in the briefing um, to the committee in January 2020. The length of the delay in resolving these issues is a matter of regret to the department and the GTCNI. However, I can assure the committee that both the department and GTCNI are striving to move as far and as quickly as possible. Um, and it is a priority for, for us both. The outcome of the review will be important in determining the scope of the legislative change needed to enable GTCNI to be effective in the discharge of all of its roles and statutory functions. Any recommendations for change in the composition, structure, or fundamental operation of the council will also require amendments to existing legislation, and we will wish to bring forward all necessary legislative changes within a single future GTCNI bill, which will also in due course be subject to wider consultation with both, both the profession and this committee. Thank you. Thank you for that uh, detailed briefing. Um, well, the department has, has finally laid the full extent of the concerns in relation to the General Teaching Council there today. Um, I, have a, I have a range of questions that I'll try and get through quickly, but it's hard not to move to the ultimate one, which is why has the Department of Education not abolished the GTC and established a new fit-for-purpose professional body for teachers? 
To abolish DTCNI and establish a new body would require primary legislation. Um, and that's part of the rationale for the organisational review. Um, the previous review that was carried out by RSM did consider closing DTCNI, partially abolishing, uh, giving back some of the powers to the department, but ultimately they decided that transformation of the organisation was the best option going forward uh, and the action plan that the chief executive has referred to was, was predicated on all of those recommendations. They're still working through the outworkings of those recommendations, um, you know, looking at a, a revised staffing structure. Um, obviously, we need the legislation to put in place um, their ability to regulate. Um, and as the chief executive alluded to, there's, there's a lot that the organisation could still do uh, with a supportive council in place. Do, so, do, you, do, you, do you still think transformation is the best course of action? Well, ultimately, that's, that will be um, um, outlined within the, the, the new review being taken forward. I mean, the, the, the review what, that was taken why, forward by RSM. Okay, Alison, why, why, and apologies for being short today. We're just really pushed for time. Apologies okay, for Jim. that. What, why do we need another review? Well, the review that was taken forward in 2017 ultimately um, was it was a different kind of review looking at the financial viability of the organisation. This new review is looking at its effectiveness across the, the, the range of um, council committees, uh, the role of the chair, um, is, is, is that functioning appropriately according to the management statement financial memorandum, the role of the chief executive, the role of the executive itself. It's, it's much more wide ranging and you know, I think we need that independent external perspective okay. uh, to provide if, the minister with advice. If the minister and the department have been aware of this since at least January 2020, why how, is this review that you deem necessary yet to commence? Well, there have been in special measures since um, uh, since before January 2020. You know. We, we were trying to facilitate progress uh, for the council. We weren't trying to impede their progress. It's over the course of the last 12 months, uh, and indeed um, it, it, correspondence that the minister received in October that prompted him to ask for the review to be brought forward. Um, and, and we've we sought to do that as, 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 as fast as we could. Okay, why, why has the Department of Education not enacted legislation to remedy the deficient regulatory framework of the GTCNI? Because that requires primary legislation, Chair, um, and there has not been room within the current um, legislative timetable to bring that forward. I, I've sat in assembly business days that have been suspended because there's no executive business. How has there been no time for primary legislation? Well, the advice that we've been receiving from the Department of Solicitor's Office is that, you know, we, we have sought legal advice at several times over the last number of years on issues pertaining to GTCNI. Over the last 12 months, the, the focus has been on COVID and Brexit, um, and we've had to wait significant periods of time for advice. Okay, but, the, I mean, the absence of this legislation is contributing to deficient regulation of conduct. Is that not a priority? Uh, absolutely, it's a priority. And if we could get a space on the on the primary legislative timetable, we would certainly bring that forward. 
Okay. Why has the Department of Education appointed only one of four ministerial appointments to GTCNI? There's a process underway at present to fill three vacancies. That's managed by a different part of the department, the Education and Governance team, and they're bringing forward the arrangements for those ministerial appointments. I'm led to believe that that's imminent in terms of going to um, uh, into um, public um, advertisement. Uh, advertisement. Okay, I'll try and stick to my five minutes for once here so that I can uh, enforce members doing the same. But final question is, um, in what way or how, how many whistleblowing um, submissions have been made in relation to GTCNI and in what way are they being dealt with? Um, that's outside my expertise, I'm afraid, Chair. Those whistleblowing um, uh, allegations were all made to the um, the, the uh, head of audit uh, within the department, um, and she's, she was taking that forward. So in terms of the exact number, um, I don't know. But the, the report, um, the investigation, all of the allegations were investigated separately. And my understanding is that individuals have had the outcome of those investigations made available to them and an overall report was made um, to the permanent secretary. Okay. It wasn't made we, available we, to other if, officials. Okay, if we could get an update in relation to that and if we could get written uh, detail as to progress on the 17 recommendations from the, the previous review, um, that would be helpful. Can I bring in Deputy Chairperson Pat Sheehan, MLA? Pat's still there. Yep. Pat, can you hear me okay? Yep, there you are. Thanks, I Pat. Hear you. I can hear you. you. I think it was um, a difficulty with whoever controls the remote or the nope. mute. No problem. Go uh, ahead, then. Okay, thanks for that. And, uh, and, and thanks to officials for their contribution so far. Um, I think it was a very disturbing presentation we heard earlier, and the chair has clearly articulated uh, the problems that most of us on the committee, I'm sure, share with him. Uh, just one quick question. Uh, is there any public money goes into the GTC? No, as the registrar explained, um, they're funded through um, teacher um, uh, registration fees. And, and that's... That's their sole source of funding? Yes. It, it is, yes. Uh, it, it should just be noted for, for clarity that um, as an NDPB, all of the money that they receive then is officially classed as public money. So the, the, that distinction needs to be observed. Okay. And um, the audit committee has flagged up a number of risks Uh Six of them, despite um, scrutiny of those risks, six remain in the critical category and four remain high. Um, I, I thought I heard you say that there was one around financial management. Is that right? Well, that's been identified as a risk within the register in terms of um, scrutiny um, and financial management. I, I wouldn't actually categorise that as, as um, one of the risks that we would have a concern about at the minute. Um, um, the financial management of GTCNI is not um, something that um, presents us with any difficulties. Budget management, um, budget business cases, 
all of those issues are dealt with um, in in a timely enough manner, um, uh, and that really depends on on the committees and the council giving approval for things to to to, to be taken forward. Okay. Okay. Well, let's move on to the issue of regulation, uh, and it's it's clear from the evidence we heard this morning that there are teachers in the profession who are not meeting professional standards. And uh, as a result, there appears to be the potential for risk to some of our children in schools. And there would also appear to be uh, a difficulty in terms of uh, their learning uh, if teachers are underperforming and can't be regulated um, by the regulatory body. What has the department to say about that? In relation to um, performance of teachers in schools, I mean, that's a performance management issue um, for the principals under PRSD. The, the regulations as they're currently um, set out wouldn't provide for the GTC and to, to NI to intervene in issues of that um, nature. Um, so that would really be an issue for But isn't that, isn't that one of the problems? Well, I mean, that is one of the issues as we set out in, in the background paper and the timeline for regulation. You know, some of the other teaching um, regulatory bodies would look at a range of sanctions um, and have in place a range of mitigations um, if there was poor professional um, uh, performance um, and, you know, potentially training could be put in place for those individuals. But at present, Northern Ireland hasn't been used to that type of intervention. And I would suggest that, you know, the um, professional development should be captured within the school development plan uh, for the teachers, um, their teacher development days. Um, and, and the focus should be of a strategic nature for the school itself in terms of the development of, of their teachers. You see, this is this is confusing because if the system's working well, as you seem to be suggesting, then what's the problem? The regulations for GTCNI, albeit that they're not working because of the legislation, are for instances of gross misconduct only, um, and they only are referred to GTCNI. GTCNI can only look at them when the employer process and the PSNI process has concluded. Um, I think if we were, you know, if the review suggests that there should be a different um, mechanism, a different um, body, um, that we would look at that all in uh, the new primary legislation that needs to be brought forward um, to make modifications to the um, primary legislation to enact regulation uh, is one issue. But, you know, if there's any organisational changes required, that we would do that within the primary legislation. To yeah, and... and, and Sorry for interrupting you, but we all understand that the GTC can only intervene in cases of gross misconduct. Uh, we understand that. My, my question relates to instances of teachers not meeting the required standards that fall below gross misconduct uh, that the GTC cannot intervene in. Uh, and that is because of a gap in the legislation. Now, the chief executive, when he was in earlier, was unable to say that there isn't a risk to children as a result of that 
deficit in the legislation. And, and, and I'm asking you, do you agree with that? Because you seem to be saying to us here that everything is working well. Uh, however, there still needs to be a change to the legislation or there needs to be new primary legislation to allow the GTC to regulate in situations uh, which fall below gross misconduct. So, I mean, I'm, I'm asking you, well, what, what are the problems? Thanks, um, Pat. Alison, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I wasn't suggesting that everything in the garden is rosy at all. You know, I'm acutely aware that across um, the education system, whilst we have a policy for every school a good school, that's not always the case. And there are teachers that need development um, uh, and that should be addressed by uh, the school development plan uh, and, and the principal's actions for um, making improvements in, in the teaching quality within their schools. The, if there's a safeguarding issue at all in terms of the conduct of a teacher, there are robust mechanisms in place at the moment um, for you know, any of those issues to be taken forward. Um, and at the present, um, the DTCNI is really the action of last resort. If, the, if it's gross misconduct um, and that reaches the GTCNI and actually if it goes to the Disclosure and Barring Service and they recommend removal, then that teacher's automatically removed from the register. So I think the two issues around you know, the quality of the profession and, and developmental needs and gross misconduct are two separate things. Okay, thanks Pat. Thanks Jim. Thanks Pat. Uh, can I bring in Robin Newton, MLA, thanks. Thank you, thank you, Chair, and uh, thank you to the officers for, for being with us this morning. I have to say, when they made your opening statement, uh, they, uh, it was like, just, wow, what are we into here? Um, and just how serious this uh, situation is. Can I ask uh, two questions? And I, I know that the Chair has made reference to the first report, would you just explain to me why that first report is now invalid and a second report is being sought? The first report, um, I wouldn't say it's invalid. As, as the chief executive said, it really, the, the actions from that are woven through their corporate plan going forward and they are trying to move on a number of the recommendations that were made within that report. But that report was of its time um, and it focused on different issues this, um, and I'm happy to make the terms of reference for, for um, the board effectiveness review um, available to, to, to the committee um, in due course, but it's, it's focusing on different issues. Um, it's focusing on relationships, on, on council minutes, on, on committee minutes, um, the effectiveness of the chair. Um, is he fulfilling his role as envisaged in the, the management state, statement and financial memorandum? So they were, they were comparing two different sets of issues at two different points in time. Um, and the recommendations still hold from the first report. And, and as said, Chief Executive Officer is trying to take those forward within their corporate and business planning processes. For example, one of the recommendations was around staff restructuring um, because there are issues uh, within the executive itself um, in terms of um, the um, experience and expertise um, that they have available. Uh, within the executive at present, and that's that's ongoing. 
Okay, so the 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 second report you feel will address different issues but complement the seventeen actions in the previous roadmap. Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, can, can I ask you? Well, can I just? Uh, I know it probably is outside your remit, but can I just urge action on 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 moving that uh, second report uh, forward because I I do think this is. Such a serious situation, uh, we can't in any way prevaricate on 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 producing the report. Can I thank you for your 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 written evidence? Can I ask you to look at the page two uh, of what you've provided us with, and indeed two specific areas within it that you yourself have highlighted, and perhaps you would talk to us or expand a bit more on the. Two fundamental challenges identified by legal counsel, and indeed, then additionally, counsel had identified that GTCA and I would need to take cognizance of two emerging pieces of case law, and you name those two pieces of case law. Could you talk talk us through those two areas that you have highlighted? Yeah, um, in essence in considering solely whether GTC and I could exercise a regulatory function as it had been envisaged and as it had been working towards in terms of the procedures it was developing internally. Two, two fundamental problems were identified as we've stated there. Firstly is that the responsibility to regulate under current legislation is purely vested in the council itself. And while they have legal authority to delegate their functions to a committee. They do not have the required legal authority to establish a new committee. Therefore, they cannot create a purpose uh, standalone committee to consider misconduct cases. Uh, and in fact, in some of the other UK jurisdictions, they actually convene separate investigatory panels and separate, separate uh, disciplinary panels so that they can have still further separation between the various stages in the decision-making. So they do not have the authority to set up a new committee, which was what they had originally envisaged, uh, an external panel mo model with members recruited with relevant expertise to sit and maintain that degree of independence. The second issue is around the fact that the council had prepared detailed uh, rules governing how it would progress these cases, how it would handle a hearing, how it would seek to, to uh, procure the evidence to allow it to make decisions. Um, legal advice has come back to confirm that actually the council does not have explicit legal authority to make any rules of that sort. Therefore, if it has no rules to govern the processes, any attempt to regulate under any process would itself be flawed and be open to, to legal challenge. The two pieces of case law that, that were highlighted, one is a comparatively older judgment now, 2011, the ILEX judgment. It was a legal case in England, which simply confirmed that in the interests of fairness, there needed to be separation between those within a professional body charged with developing standards for professional conduct and those charged with uh, assessing breaches of those standards. And again, 
that that required a degree of separation within whatever mechanism GTC and I wish to bring forward. Lastly, the most recent judgment was the McKee ruling. Uh, there is a lot of the the uh, a lot of the clauses within the current legislation which rely on quite generic wording and which rely on implicit authority for GTC to take certain actions. The McKee ruling determined very clearly that the council could not uh, rely on this implicit authority to delegate any tasks to any other staff members. Therefore, again, the authority remains solely vested in the council itself. And that then creates the tension immediately with the ILEX ruling and the fact that the council cannot both be rule setter and, and arbiter of breaches of the rules. Yeah, and those, those presumably, those, uh, if I use the word uh, hamstrung, if, uh, they, 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 what one would have wanted to see as the integral responsibilities of a professional body are really not possible to take forward because of the construct of the council itself. Yeah, that be it's, fair? I think it's it, it's fair to to say that that the original legislation never envisaged some of the the um, the the restrictions which emerging case law would would impose uh, and would complicate what seems superficially to be quite a straightforward process where. GTC had envisaged the external panels, recruitment of members, members investigating and making recommendations. Um, at each turn, th those processes have, have turned out to be legally questionable. Okay. Okay, Robin. Yeah. Uh, can I just ask her very briefly, then, is the second report actually going to take uh, notice of, of, of what we've just discussed? Is it within the report? Is within the, the the remit? In terms of the legislation. Yes. Yeah, and uh, you're going to share your your remit uh, with us. They, they the, re this, re yeah. the review okay. is looking at um, the effectiveness of of the council. We're taking the legislative issues around regulation separately, um, and we're aware um, we're working with departmental solicitors' office separately on on the regulatory legislative requirements. Um, the review will look at the effectiveness of, of the council uh, and its committees and, and its, its executive body. Okay, so two, two separate issues. Okay. Uh, yeah, Thank you. Thanks, Robin. It'd be good to get details of the department's review of the regulatory framework, because I think Robin makes an important point there. If you don't deal with the regulatory, with the legislative regulatory framework, you're not dealing with the, the issues. But a very brief supplementary question. Can the can currently abolish GTC and I? Not without primary legislation, Chair. And, okay, and I would well, say... You, you, keep, you keep referencing primary legislation, like the Minister and the Department aren't agents of primary legislation, but we'll move, we'll move on from that. Can I bring in uh, Daniel McCrossan, MLA, please? Thanks. Thank you, Chair, and thank you to uh, the Department for being here. The, the, this is a very serious situation, and to be honest, the 
department's fingerprints are all over it. Uh, it reeks of incompetence because there's been very little done to curb this situation, to deal with it adequately. I know there's been a touch on legislation, the Chair's right, it's been mentioned a number of times, particularly around the uh, ILEX judgment. I struggle to understand why a judgment in 2011 wasn't considered when the department put forward legislation in 2015. Like, like, were they dealing with this with their eyes closed or, or what was the situation there? And the very fact that this department has screwed up legislation twice, twice, you know, what on earth is going on? But then this has been battered to death. But the, the, the department need to get their acts together. It's ridiculous it takes this committee to push them into position. In terms of questions, Chair, considering the GTCNI is unable to regulate and will not be doing so for the foreseeable future, can uh, the Department assure this committee that there are sufficient safeguards in place to keep our children safe? Uh, and can you please outline them? Yeah. Um, sorry. No, it's okay. There are robust safeguarding mechanisms in place. It starts with the Board of Governors in the school. Um, and there are um, guidance documents um, provided to the schools in terms of what to do if there's any um, issues around safeguarding. There's designated safeguarding teachers uh, in each of the schools um, who would uh, come into action. The EA would be involved. The managing authorities would be involved. In more serious cases, the PSNI um, and social services would be involved. So there's a multi agency response to safeguarding issues within schools at the present um, and as I said earlier it only really reaches referral stage to the DTCNI when the employer process has concluded and the PSNI process has concluded and if it's significantly serious the disclosure and barring service will recommend the teacher's removal from the register and that happens automatically. Okay. Uh and, and, and in terms of the point that I raised with the chair at an earlier stage, if if GTC and I are not regulating as they should be, and that there is a serious issue with a teacher, um, is it like is it possible for a teacher to teach, in your opinion, uh, in other parts of Northern Ireland or in other jurisdictions? But what's there really to protect children if if that's the case? If the teacher resigns um, or is dismissed. Um, that information is made available to DTCNI and if they sought employment in another school, I would have expected the new employer to do their due diligence and seek references for the teacher um, uh, in, in bringing them into their school. Yeah, in, in an ideal world that might happen, but we're far from an ideal world in Northern Ireland at times. Uh, just what, what do you propose to do to be fair to all the teachers who face accusations lodged with the GTCNI about their conduct when the cases cannot be heard. So in other words, this could go on for an endless period of time, given the current situation, which is entirely unfair, particularly if the accusation is entirely false. Yes, I have asked the Chief Executive to look at this issue and um, to propose some correspondence for those teachers so that we can actually let them know uh, where their cases sit at this current time. And I'm expecting um, that to come forward in due course from the Chief Executive. Yeah, in relation to the Chief Executive, we kind of heard from him and he was very honest with us today and that's very much appreciated. Uh, the, the individual is under extreme pressure from what has gone on in the GTCNI and I would hope that the department recognises the duty of care uh, to the staff of the GTCNI, particularly in the current circumstances and simply uh, uh, closing the department closing their eyes isn't going to resolve a lot of these issues. Uh, just can, can you also assure us 
Yeah, can you also assure us that the legislation will be brought forward without delay to enable regulation to be taken forward, which is the most important point? Well, as I said in my opening remarks, it is our intention to bring forward primary legislation to address the lacuna within the regulatory framework, but we also want to wait on the outcome of the review because if there's fundamental change recommended to the organisation itself, we'd like to bring forward one single GTCNI bill. I mean, we're already also yeah. aware that, that in addition to the two issues, fundamental issues, preventing regulation proceeding at the moment, there are other issues which should be addressed in any bill going forward. For example, the issue around the single sanction legal advice there is that that is fundamentally incompatible with the European Convention on Human Rights and that on its own is sufficient grounds to, to allow people to challenge the process which supports just a single sanction. So there are a broader range of legal issues and part of the time that we've been spending over the last 12 to 18 months is trying to make sure that not only are we going to respond to the legislative challenges specific to regulation, but we take this opportunity to review all GTC yeah. legislation and regulations and, and capture all weaknesses. And, and I, I, I appreciate that, uh, but I fail to understand why this wasn't dealt with in 2015. Why six years later, there has been, nothing's been done. Can you explain that? Well, the, the modifications to the regulations in 2015, um, no one really um, could have predicted um, the, the emerging case law, um, particularly the McKee ruling. Um, and every effort was made to put in place um, the, the frameworks to allow regulation to go forward. It's only really in 2019 that we've had conflicting advice or, or emerging advice from, from DSO and, and Council around um, the legitimacy of the actions that were proposed. So there's been a lot of work has taken place jointly between the department and GTCNI to make regulation a live function for the body. But we have to take cognizance of the legal advice that we're given. And if we were challenged, if, if they took forward 10 regulation cases and we were challenged on number 11, all of the outcomes of the previous 10 would fall. Um, so the, the, the risk is too great to, to allow regulation to go forward on a flawed okay. basis. Okay, Daniel. Yeah, sure. Just to put firmly on record, I'm extremely disappointed by the department on this, and that will not come as a great surprise. It's just another example of something that's been entirely let slip through the net. Uh, you know, the GTCNA is a total mess, and the Department of Responsibility to resolve it, not sit on its hands, uh, and certainly not miss opportunities such as 2015 to resolve some of these issues. Six years later, Chair. Okay. Thanks, Daniel. Can I, can, very briefly before I move on, can I ask how many teachers face, are, are, are currently facing misconduct allegations that cannot be heard? The... Just let me refer to my notes. Um, I think there are 59 live cases. 38 of those have completed police and employer checks. Um, four of the teachers um, uh, are no longer registered. Um, 12 could be classified as potential risk. Sorry, four of those are no longer registered. Um, eight remain registered and five of those are still employed. So this means by conclusion of investigation, the allegations were either proven to be baseless 
um, or unproven. So there was no grounds for removing the individual from the classroom for those that are still employed. Okay, you mentioned risk there. Mm -hmm. What what what's what what were you saying in relation to risk? No, I'm just saying of the of the fifty nine live cases, um, twelve could be p potentially classified as as a risk. Four of those cases, the teachers are no longer registered. Eight remain registered. Three of them are not employed, but five are still employed. Um, and the conclusion for those that are still employed means that the investigation were that the, the outcome of the investigation were that the allegations were either unproven, found to be baseless, okay. um, and there was no grounds for removing them from the um, the classroom. So if they're still teaching, okay. they followed the employer process, uh, and the employers are satisfied that they can still teach. Okay, and. Um why are the four no longer registered? Well, they may, may be retired. They may not have um, held up their registration fees. That um, I'm led. I mean, I have asked the chief executive to do a risk analysis of all of the cases he has, and he, okay. he has indicated that the age profile of the cases would be um, of, of the older nature and they would be close to retirement for many of them. But those, some of those cases have passed without... Um, a GTCNI process. But they have always been subject to school employers and or PSNI investigations. So it's not that they have not been investigated in any form. It is simply that GTC has not been able to do a professional regulation following those other processes. Okay. Uh, so what, okay. And how many times has GTCNI removed a teacher from registration due to gross misconduct? They will have removed, um, I don't know the number, I would have to find that out for you, Chair, but the Disclosure and Barring Service, when they recommend removal, the teacher's automatically removed from the register, but I'd need to check the exact number for you. Okay, uh, can I bring in Robbie Butler, MLA, please? Thanks. Thanks, Chair. I'll keep my brief if I can. A um, couple of things then, um, and thanks for, for joining us today, guys. Um, Probably following up on what Daniel had said there um, with regard to the department's role and oversight of GTCNI, um, could you outline to us today in terms of the terms of reference um, or the scope of the review uh, as to whether or not the departmental's oversight function was also carried out um, appropriately um, and maybe was it contributory to the failures within GTCNI? Um. We'll cooperate fully with the new review. Um, the department's oversight um, and the role of the sponsor branch is not overtly referenced within the review, is my recollection. No. We are subject to our own internal audit um, scrutiny and, and we have been audited um, uh, already over our sponsorship role for GTCNI. I mean, I would point out that, you know, we spend significant time on the issues um, relating to GTCNI, there is numerous pieces of correspondence, FOI requests, subject access requests, fairly complex cases requiring hundreds of hours of staff time. I'm responsible for two other arm's length bodies, and and I would be honest, you know, the time that I need to spend on GTCNI in comparison to my other two ALBs is is extensive, but we make the time available to deal with the issues. We provide guidance to council staff. We provide support. We participate in their project meetings. We provide advice. 
We provided written to advi advice to the chair. He's written to us 35 times since his appointment in 2019. Uh, and that's formally, that doesn't include the emails that we receive. We quality assure their draft corporate documents. We have sought joint legal advice. We use the monthly oversight meetings and the regular bi-monthly meetings to offer advice and suggest solutions to some of their emerging problems. We liaise with other branches within the department to ensure that GTC are, GTC and I are prioritized um, uh, and, and we engage constructively with them on the issues within their specific remits. I mean, we remain engaged and have consistently worked with the chief executive and the council um, uh, over this past 12 months and beyond um, to try and move issues forward. I uh, appreciate that, guys. And I, I'll be honest. I mean, I, I there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of energy uh, in the committee with regard to this, but I haven't got my head quite around it uh, in terms of why it's so messy. I, I genuinely have no. Uh, no uh, uh, people have, might have said things and made allegations and stuff. I genuinely think fundamentally there's something wrong. Yes, in, in terms of the legislation, but the relationships are quite toxic, uh, in, in some elements, and and that doesn't over well. And I don't know if you can comment on this in terms of the the timeline as whether. Um, and uh, I to that, that there may be some players that aren't interested in trying to fix this problem and I would hate that to be the case I think everything needs to be on the table because this is about uh, uh, fundamentally it's about protecting children but also uh, protecting our teachers too to enable them to do that um, so with regard to those outstanding cases those ones that are potentially still live um, can you tell me uh, has, has anybody challenged any of those findings uh, based on the irregularities uh, or the virus of the uh, DTCNI? No, um, not to my knowledge, but the department has asked the, the chief executive and the council to take their regulatory function as far forward as they can. And they do have um, the legal barriers to screen the cases that they currently have. So we asked the chief executive to risk assess, which he did, and they can now take those forward to screening but that requires um, the agreement of the council to a paper um, um, for a process for that screening. Um, uh, it first went in December to council. Unfortunately, no issues of sub substantive business were actually taken at that council meeting. Um, there's a further council meeting this Friday, and I'm hoping um, that the paper on screening will, will gain some support because that will enable GTC and I to, to regulate insofar as they practically can under the legislative constraints that, that currently exist. Guys, thank you so much, Chair. Just to make you aware, I indicated I need to be away at a quarter to one because I've got AERC and we're well over time. So I'm just going to, uh, I, I have no further questions at this point. Thank you. Thanks, thanks, Robbie. Uh, William, or William, I think, has uh, had to move on as well. So Nicola Brogan, MLA, thanks. Thanks, Chair, and thanks to you both for um, your evidence here this morning. I'll be very brief. I just want to know what kind of steps that your department has been taking to resolve internal staffing issues in the Council and um, to deal with accusations of bullying within the Council. The, the staffing issues, um, the, the Council are the employing authority, um, so they, we have had oversight of what they've been doing to, to address those issues. Um, my understanding is that there have been a couple of NIPSA surveys um, and that um, the council responded by having a survey of their own um, and they've brought forward an action plan to try and, try and address those issues. Um, there's also a suite um, of HR policies under development 
Um, that was one of the recommendations from the 2017 um, review of the organisation, that they were fairly lacking in, in robust policies for the, for the staff to refer to. So those are, there's a new staff handbook under development um, and, and those, um, there's a paper actually being presented to Council this, this Friday on, on the first swathe of those policies. Um, um, so there is an action plan being um, um, monitored by the HR committee uh, within Council. And we, we would ask about progress on that at our monthly oversight meetings, our bi-monthly meetings, um, and at the GAR meetings with Council. And when do you say then that those policies should be implemented? I know you said on Friday they should be brought to you in on those monthly meetings, but when should they be implemented? There's a, there's a Council meeting um, this Friday. My understanding is that you know a suite of policies have been developed. The first set of those are going to the Council on Friday for consideration. There's a process whereby the staff still need to be consulted um, uh, and that's an ongoing process um, for the chief executive and a senior team to manage internally um, so I mean I hope uh, my hope was would be that they would implement them as soon as practically possible but that's really an issue for the chief executive and his team to take forward. Yeah that's fair enough um, this may be out of side of your remit then but can you give me any detail on the kind of HR policies and do they focus on bullying and harassment and that sort of thing in particular or like what what do you expect from it? Well the staff handbook deals with a, a, a suite of policies around performance management, around how to um, put forward a grievance, around how that would be managed and dealt with, um, around um, you know attendance at work, um, a, a, around um, I mean there's a whole swathe of policies within that staff handbook and I think the chief executive is attempting to bring it all together into one place. Um, the, pr the problem in the past seems to have been um, that when an, an issue has arisen, there would maybe be two or three versions of a policy document, so no one quite knew which one to refer to. So this is an, a, an attempt to bring everything together into one place for the staff to have access to um, uh, without any issues. We, we do know that dignity at work, which should address, hopefully help to address bullying as one of the issues, is part of, of the suite of, of policies being brought forward. Perfect. I think that's such a, a very important topic, um, given the evidence we received from the unions and that, um, and their concerns um, with the council. So that's a positive um, move forward. Can I just touch on one other um, aspect that you had um, discussed earlier, and that is about the five teachers who are still employed, but I believe you said are, are considered a potential risk. Are they, are they still considered a potential risk and employed? No, no. Um, what I said was that 12 of the 59 live cases, 38 of those have completed police and employer checks, and 12 of them could have been classified as a potential risk. However, four are no longer registered. Um, eight remain registered, and of those, five are still employed. And this actually means that if they're still in the classroom, they don't present a risk because the employer has considered following the investigation, um, that they're still fit to practice in the classroom. And then, so... Sorry, sorry I was just, just going to clarify, the risk classification was GT, when, when we asked the chief executive to risk assess his live cases, he took a very conservative approach and simply said, I will classify as high anywhere where the allegation potentially would have implications for child safety. So that's an assessment based purely on the allegation before there is any consideration 
of the evidence or substance to the case. So we've been he's been conservative, um, and that is probably why in those five cases the employers' processes have concluded and have concluded that the accusations had no substance and therefore the teacher was safe to remain in the classroom. So it still shows on the records as a high-risk allegation, but it was ultimately unproven. And were they solely investigated by the council or by the school as well or by anyone else to the council? Because the council can't actively investigate at present with the various legislative difficulties, it is the police and or the employers who have undertaken the investigations and determined that there is no evidence to take action against those individuals. Okay, that's great. All right, thank you. Um, thanks for that for clarifying that for me. Um, and thank you, Chair. Thanks, Nicola. Nicola, I think you're asking important questions again there. You, you say police and or employer, which, how do we know what it is? Well, that's, you know, we don't know the detail of any of the referrals that have been made to GTC and I, and, and we're not allowed to know them. That's for the GTC. Um, what we would say that is if it's a serious issue and it's raised as a safeguarding issue in the school, they will bring in the PSNI and social services if they deem, um, I mean, the, the, the teacher would immediately be put on precautionary suspension if there's any safeguarding risk to children. Um, uh, and, you know, it'll be for the employer to go through the proper process um, okay. utilising social services and the PSNI as necessary. Okay. On the flip side of that, um, you said there were 59 cases. Have, have any of those allegations ever been... Um, Find it to stand up, everybody find to stand up, or you know, are, are, are teachers being put through allegations that are consistently not proven? Well, there's 59 live cases currently with the GTCNI, 38 of those have completed police and employer checks. What does that mean? Well, they, they've been investigated and, and have come to a conclusion, but we're not privy to the outcome of that conclusion. Um, we do know that, um, you know, of the numbers, five teachers were being um, informed are still employed. Um, so, I mean, a lot of those cases are historic cases um, that have remained on the books, um, so to speak, for, for a, number, a number of years. Um, the referral rate for GTCNI um, per year would um, perhaps be one or two cases. But you don't know the outcome of 38 cases? No. Okay. Uh, bring in Justin McNulty, MLA, please. Thanks. Thanks, Chair. Um, thanks, Alison and Alan. Um, guys, just just going to clarify for me, what does under special measures actually mean? Well, it really means that um, GTC and I are under enhanced scrutiny. Um, so um, Alan and I attend all of the council and committee meetings as observers and we're there to offer advice uh, when, when called upon. There are monthly meetings with the chair, the vice chair, and the chief executive, with the permanent secretary, deputy permanent secretary, myself and Alan, um, to talk about um, um, progress on, on important issues um, that GTC and I are trying to make progress on. So it's in an effort, really, to offer support and advice where we can, um, but also keep a focus um, a very clear focus for the chair, um, uh, the vice chair and the chief executive on the issues that they need to progress at pace. 
Okay, those meetings have been described as toxic, dysfunctional. I'm going to use the word unsafe because there's been bullying. The, um, not not the monthly oversight meetings. Um, oh, the, okay. the council meetings um, have been portrayed as, um, uh, I believe, um, toxic and bullying. Um, uh, and dysfunctional, but not not the monthly oversight meetings. They're okay. held in a professional manner. I can assure you. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. I got my wires crossed there. Um, well, on on the piece around the toxicity, the dysfunctionality, and the bullying um, referred to in those general council meetings, um, general teacher council meetings. Um, why do you feel that is being allowed to continue and persist? for so long? Well, I would refer back to what the Chief Executive alluded to. Um, there are a number of members, um, uh, when it was reconstituted in, in 2019, who were elected on a mandate of closing the organisation down. Um, and, and that's um, fairly divisive because there are other members who are there who truly want to represent the profession and promote the profession and recognise you know, the significance of the profession and, and how important it is to our children and young people in Northern Ireland. So when you have um, opposing views um, and um, on, on a council of that size, it's very difficult to achieve consensus. So what we witness is traditionally, um, if, if an issue goes to a vote, for example, um, the vote will um, usually be split down the middle um, and there, then the chair would have the casting vote. So you would have half of the members who voted feeling um, disempowered, you know, disenfranchised uh, and that their, their view wasn't, um, wasn't heard, um, I would suggest. So that, that contributes to um, some of the depth of feeling from, from some members in council and we have received correspondence um, on that basis. Okay, well, culture, culture is the issue. You know, we have a committee here, which is not as large, of course, we don't all agree on the same things, uh, of all very different, diverse opinions, but we work together for the greater good. So the culture in that committee is wrong, it's toxic and it's, um, it needs changed urgently. And that, needs, that, that bull needs to be grabbed by the horns and who's responsible for grabbing that bull by the horns? Well, you know, in order for them to exit um, special measures, um, they need to demonstrate that um, they have um, a, a common understanding of the role of the organisation and a common vision for its future going forward. Um, that they're taking timely decisions, prioritising goals um, and directing their staff in pursuit of those agreed objectives and, and will hold itself as a corporate body and, and staff accountable for, for the delivery of outcomes. Um, okay. You know, th those are some of the issues. Um, the, chair is responsible, the chair is responsible for setting the strategic direction for the organisation within the management statement and financial memorandum. Um, and we have impressed upon him in the past the need to build cohesiveness across council um, because there are uh, opposing views and everyone's views are respected. Um, uh, uh, but, you know, there is a need for the chair to build cohesiveness across council. Okay, well, Alison, I think uh, I've mentioned before in this committee, um, I think it was Peter Drucker said, culture eats strategy for breakfast, and that's what's happening. The culture is wrong, the culture is toxic, and it needs to change. Otherwise, the strategy is going to go nowhere. Um, and who's responsible for regulating the teaching profession and education within our schools? Well, the, the GTC and I are responsible. It's one of their statutory functions to regulate the profession. 
education in our schools um, uh, is, is a different issue. That's for the managing authorities um, uh, and, you know, to comply with every school a good school. Okay, so you're saying GCC is solely responsible for the regulation of the teaching profession? They're responsible for registration, regulation and promoting the profession. Um, and that is one of the issues that I'd really like to see emerge um, in the short to medium term, because there is, um, you know, some of the other general teaching councils would hold conferences for teachers. They um, have research projects. Um, they would be um, um, giving teachers updates on pedagogy, on developments. You know, there's, there's a lot of really affirmative action that could be taken by the GTC NI in the short term if, if they chose to do so. Okay, well, that, that's the huge concern for me. So the body that are responsible for regulation of the teaching profession are currently dysfunctional, a culture of toxicity and a culture of where bullying takes place within their, their um, organization. And that's hugely concerning. Uh, and that, that bull needs to be grabbed by the horns very, very quickly. And who's responsible for that? Is it the education minister? Yes, and that's why they're in special measures and why the minister has brought forward this um, board effectiveness review. And the, the special measures have been going on for five years and nothing's changed in here, so something needs to change, otherwise this is going to persist. Well, the, the, the most recent um, special measures was only put in place um, in 2019. There was a period between 2017 and 2019 where they weren't in special measures because they had um, uh, confirmed with us that they would act on the action plan and the recommendations coming out of the RSM report in 2017. But the pace um, of, of um, change and transformation has just not been swift enough, um, which is ultimately, uh, and, you know, the scale of the correspondence that we've received from within council and, and also members of the public um, uh, of recent, in the recent 12 to 18 months, you know, has been prolific. So um, that's another reason for the, for the special measures being re-implemented. Okay, listen, thanks, Alison. Thanks, Alan. I think, as you know, the teaching profession, teachers are watching this committee today. I'm sure they're very distressed. I'm sure they're really annoyed, upset that their representative body is being portrayed as such as it is during this committee, and that's why this needs to rectify fast. Thanks, Justin. Okay, thanks, members. Uh, can I, Alison, can I just ask a, a, a final question? Um, are, are there members of the General Teaching Council board who publicly, explicitly state that they sought election and are members of the General Teaching Council board in order to, you know, disrupt and dissolve the General Teaching Council board? Yes, there are. It okay. would have been um, part of their election manifesto that was made available to the teaching profession, and it has also been minuted um, in council meetings. Okay. Could you, for ease of access, could you provide us with those details? I'd be very interested to hear from these individuals. Yes, I mean, we, we can provide um, the... Um, I actually don't know whether the minutes of the meeting where it was stated publicly um, were ever published on the DTCNI's website, but we can certainly ask them to make, make those available to, to the committee. Uh, I think that would be important. Um, as, as members have said, it's obviously completely unacceptable that the professional body for uh, such an important and esteemed profession in Northern Ireland is in 
such a dysfunctional state. Um, we will give our commitment as a committee to do whatever we can to support the urgent change in that regard. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And sorry, Alison, before you go, can I, can I say as well, um, a, a clear um, evident uh, development of this is the sheer amount of time that this is um, utilising of, of you and as officials and uh, and the department now we we will make robust challenge and criticism of the way ministers and departments have, have handled this but um it's quite clear that this is a state of affairs that you accept is is unacceptable that you don't want uh, to exist and that is is causing a, a serious workload and and distress for for your officials who who want to be working on proactive positive issues rather than having to deal with dysfunctionality so important for us to acknowledge that as well and to to thank you for your own direct efforts in trying to expedite resolution of this i really appreciate that chair thank you thank you okay thank you folks okay members if i could ask uh, assembly broadcasting to remove witnesses and add members back into the spotlight and to ask the clerk to summarize any actions from that briefing, that briefing and the previous briefing. Clark? Um, members, I think the committee appreciated um, the, the candor from um, the uh, GTC uh, witness um, and there was a, a, um, a sentiment expressed that uh, they hoped that he was being um, supported. Also, um, there, there was a, a feeling that um, he should have had other representatives of the organization along with him and I think that might be your first action to um, invite um, others uh, from GTC from the council um, and, and hear about some of these issues. Um, the committee wanted the department to keep it up to date as, as up to date as possible with its review. Uh, I think uh, in particular um, we would want to see the um, remit of um, both the legislation review and the uh, the other effectiveness review, which hasn't started yet. Um, there was a, a strong feeling that this review on effectiveness should be moved forward and some surprise that it hasn't actually commenced, um, given the significance of the risks. Um, the, um, then the, the uh, witnesses um, from DE um, explained the, the different elements of all of this um, and, and what makes the legislation um, a bit more complicated um, and said that they, the, the department's approach was to wait for the outcome of the review which hasn't yet started um, so as to inform the drafting instructions for legislation. I mean, that seems like a very long timeline for uh, a relatively urgent um, issue. Um, I think it would be useful for the committee to have a flow chart just to show um, the current process that's being followed um, in cases of teacher misconduct, um, where the removal of barring and barring service um, becomes involved, um, where, where uh, PSNI and um, uh, social services become involved. Um, and obviously, without getting into not a matter for the committee. Um, nonetheless, I think we need to see some statistics about 
those 59 cases. Um, it seems alarming that the department doesn't know the outcome of 38 of those. Um, maybe that's a, you know an information um, processing uh, issue. The chief executive was doing some risk analyses there, I believe. So um, then on the dysfunctionality of the council, and um, the committee wanted to see the RSM report and, and the manifesto and minute of action that was um, taken to have the board dissolved. Um, so just to reflect some of the um, fissures and factions um, at staff level. Um, that's, that's what I have. Members, okay. do you want yeah. to add to that? Members, anything to add to that? Daniel, go ahead. Yes, sir. Um, just around some, you know, I know the clerk can summarize it as surprised. <laughs> In a lot of ways, I'm not surprised that the department haven't done anything about this, but uh, I am shocked that they've let it go on so long uh, and uh, they haven't done anything adequate uh, enough, in my opinion, to deal with it. I know uh, that it has been brought to the attention of the current minister, and, and with, with respect to the current minister, he has only been in position a short period of time, but obviously in a previous mandate, prior to the collapse of institutions was also in place. I know that the, the, uh, the former... Um, uh, and then secondary uh, uh, had a fair bit of understanding in this. I just can't understand what the delay is, uh, and we really need to get this resolved. This can't linger much uh, longer. It's hugely damaging. And, you know, credit where it's due. Uh, Sam has an incredible amount of patience. They stick out. Uh, th this, uh, for, the, for the short period he's been there, he's been through a lot, and I'm very worried about that. I'm the staff and the GTC NA as well, and I do think it's important, Chair, that regardless of what the department say or anything else, we do need to get the, ch the chair and vice chair of the uh, uh, GTC NA uh, before us. I think it's yeah. worrying also, just to put this on record, it's worrying also that there are those who deliberately stand election, which was confirmed by the department, stand, stand election on a mandate to sabotage and, and to bring down uh, the council, which is... Um, yeah, on the, okay, so Daniel, on those two issues, I, I think corresponds to the department clerk can ask the legitimate question of what has taken so long for the education minister to, or, or why, whatever way we want to phrase it, what, you know, why, it, why it has taken to this time for the education minister to enact legislation to permit regulation of teacher conduct in Northern Ireland. Uh, and... I, I think this education committee does need to invite the chair and the vice chair of the General Teaching Council Board and any members they wish to bring with them, but particularly members elected, if, if indeed they were, and, and willing to stand um, communicated with in relation to what that intention actually explicit or otherwise was was articulated as, you know, did, did, if, if members were elected on a specific explicit mandate to disrupt and dissolve the General Teaching Council in Northern Ireland, did, did they have specific proposals as to what should take its place? Um, I, I, we, need to, we need to invite those council members, Chair and Vice Chair, to the committee in my mind. Are, are members content with that and wish to add anything else? Yeah, can I? I mean, it is it is really uh, just depressing that such a body that should be 
so positive it is in fact uh, so negative and uh, I concur with with your uh, remarks about the invitation to those who will uh, chair and deputy chair uh, and others who may wish to come and state their objectives as a member of, of, of the body. I think that would be, be, be very helpful to us in trying to understand. Uh, I would, Chair, want to just urge uh, um, uh, how we can urge the, the department to do the second report. Um, now, that, that we understand the terms of reference for whoever will do it have already been written and they've indicated they'll share those to us. Um, but I would say, Chair, we should be sending out a very definite message that uh, there should be no delay, that the action should be urgent action. And the report, whilst well, not wanting to um, water down any uh, or deter any full investigation, that uh, the report should be produced uh, with some degree of urgency. Even, Chair, if it has to be uh, a report that is produced in interim stages in order that action can indeed be taken forward. Thanks, Robin. Any other members conscious sure. we need to get this say here as well? Yeah, Pat, go ahead. Sure, I would be cautious about being critical of those who were elected on a mandate to disrupt. <clears throat> um, because obviously the, the, the body is dysfunctional anyway. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's, it's utterly astounding that the department has waited so long and done absolutely nothing to try and rectify this problem. Yeah. I mean, it's clear there's a significant problem there. We're, we're in the process now of another review. And I mean, a blind man, the galloping horse, could see there's only going to be one outcome to that review, uh, that the department's going to have to bring forward primary legislation. Uh, and, and I mean, I'm at a loss to understand the why we just don't move to that position immediately. But, uh, you know, I, I agree that we, we need to bring the chair and the vice chair in. And anyone else who has a view, uh, we need to hear all the positions. But Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair, that's fair enough, Pat. I think, uh, I think Robin articulated that perhaps better than I did as well in terms of... Uh, to, to set out an objective or a view, you know, let, let's let's hear that. You know, like I said, do they, are there constructive suggestions to the contrary? Um, sure. Let's, let's hear that. Yeah. Chair, Chair I, I, I don't, don't disagree with, with very much of Pat or, or anyone else has said. I just, given what I know and what I've learned over the last year in relation to the GTCNI, there are individuals, not to single anyone out, but there are individuals who are deliberately there to sabotage. And the reason this will not function, and because it is so dysfunctional, is because of those individuals. Well, like that, I, that, Daniel, yeah, Daniel, I, I'm, I'm conscious that, that those individuals aren't here. I'm glad to invite them here um, and to engage with them and to, to uh, contribute a layer of accountability to yeah. what is, you know, what is clearly whatever the causes of it, uh, a completely unacceptable situation. Um, okay, Member, any other members, anything to add? Conscious, we need to get to see it here. No? Okay, Clark, you content with those actions? Yes, it's hard. Members, this is obviously an issue that we will be 
returning to um, urgent, urgently, um, perhaps on a, on a number of, of sessions. Um, okay. Okay, Clark? Yeah. Okay. Uh, members content then to move to agenda item seven. And if I ask Assembly Broadcasting to remove members from the spotlight and to add our witnesses and refer members to details uh, of the current uh, SIA Council membership at page 27. SIA, GCSE, AS and A-level awarding uh, 20, summer 2021 alternative arrangements and further revised arrangements at page 33 and 81. A record of an informal committee meeting with the NITC and ASCL on the 16th of March. An NEU briefing paper at page 129 and an NEU briefing paper at Can I welcome Justin Edwards, Chief Executive of the Council, uh, for the examination Tommy O'Reilly, Chairperson of the Council for Curriculum Examination and Assessment, and Margaret Farher. Director of Education at the Council for Curriculum Examination Assessment. Uh, apologies for the extreme delay getting to you today, Justin. Um, we've been dealing with a, a profoundly serious uh, set of issues in relation to the General Teaching Council, um, but we also um, consider the urgent issues in relation to assessments as a priority issue as well. So we're very grateful uh, for you joining us today. And hand over to you for questions from members. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. So, so thank you very much, Chairman. Um, I just want to take the opportunity to make some opening comments. First of all, I'd like to say how pleased I am to be giving evidence to the Education Committee as a new chairperson of SIA. And I'm looking forward to working with the committee over the next four years. I'm joined today, obviously, by both Justin and Margaret who the committee will know well, and who are also the technical architects of the Head of Centre's guidance that was recently issued by SIA to post-primary schools. And Justin and Margaret are going to take the lead in responding to the detailed questions that members may have. This guidance represents the practical outworkings of the Minister's stated policy objectives for the alternative examination arrangements for this year's awarding of A-levels, ASs and GCSEs. Those policy objectives are that the process which SIA puts in place must ensure that all students who are entered for the full qualification should receive a grade. It must allow for fair, accurate and consistent grading decisions. That must ensure there's a review of grading decisions within and across centres to maximise accuracy and consistency of grading. And finally, that there must be an appeal process for people, for uh, young people who are dissatisfied with their grading. The Head of Centre Guidance is underpinned by a set of awarding principles approved by SIA's Regulation Committee, which sets out how SIA could best support centres in establishing internal processes to support decisions on grades, how SIA should review grading, those grading decisions, and what needs to be involved in any appeals process. The guidance is intended to assist and direct centre heads on how best to implement the alternative arrangements for awarding grades for this year's A-levels, ASs and GCSEs. It has been developed after extensive discussions with the Department of Education, professional bodies, trade unions, as well as individual school leaders who make up a principals group within whom SIA regularly consult 
on these types of issues. SEA is also engaged with the Children's Commissioner and its youth panel to ensure that communication for young people is appropriately developed. We're continuing to listen to feedback and indeed following publication of the guidance, SEA officers had further meetings with representatives of the profession to discuss their concerns about the impact on teachers' workload. This led to an updated version of the guidance being issued to schools, which included amendments to some forms which have directly addressed these concerns. Individual teachers have also sought clarification about the guidance, and we have been answering their questions through a range of channels, including the SEA Professional Support Hotline and social media. We have published a fact sheet which addresses a number of the questions which have come up through the different communication channels. There's further work to be done in the coming weeks, not least in the development of the post-award review process, or more commonly known as the appeals process. This work is nearing completion, and we're targeting the end of next week for having the work completed and issued to schools soon after. It's important that where a young person feels that they wish to appeal that grade, that the process is carried out quickly, and at centre level, and by someone independent of the process. If the young person wants to remain unhappy, then ultimately SEA will become involved as the body with responsibility for the examination awards. We wish to take us this opportunity this morning to again offer some reassurance to young people returning to school this week and who are taking their GCSEs, ASs or A-levels about some of the myths circulating about this year's exam process. The messages we want young people to hear include the work that they completed during lockdown can be used in helping to decide their grade. The work that can be assessed can be taken from any work that they've completed during their course of study, including coursework, previous class assessments, the assessment resources provided by SEA, and or classwork itself. Finally, centre-determined grades will be based exclusively on students' work, and schools, schools will let students know what evidence is to be used. Sure, these are very challenging times for everyone involved in education, in particular for school leaders, teachers, and most importantly, for young people taking the most important exams in their school careers. SEA is working to put in place arrangements which reflect the Minister's wish that these processes are fair, consistent, and will support accurate awarding of grades. Whilst we have issued the Head of Centre guidance, my final point is to reassure the committee that SEA will continue to work with school leaders, professional bodies, trade unions, as well as young people to seek to address any remaining concerns they may have about the process, as of, and particularly as it moves forward over the next six months. Chairman, that's all I wish to say this morning as an open statement, and my colleagues and I are happy to address any questions you and the committee may have on the head of centre guidance. Thank you. Thanks, Ed. Tommy, for those opening remarks, um, some helpful clarity there for uh, for learners uh, that hopefully will provide some reassurance. But obviously, our job to ask questions and raise concerns. Um, I'll try and be as concise as I possibly can as well. How, how much of a challenge did the minister's flip flop approach to exams uh, present this year? We had we were told there would be exams. 
then there would be no exams. And now we have controlled assessments. What, what level of challenge is that presented to SIA to come up with the materials? And what level of challenge do you think that's presenting to students and learners? So, uh, Chair, obviously, since I've only come into post um, just over a month ago, um, in terms of the challenge, I mean, I, I want to hand over to Justin, who's been leading the organisation in terms of doing this ETL work in that period. Thank you very much, Chair. Yeah, OK. Go ahead. Apologies for getting some feedback there. Hopefully, you're communicating here. Okay, maybe that's better. I've been advised that the feedback is coming um, from... In terms of the, the challenges this year, as uh, as the year has unfolded, it has been extremely challenging for SIA. Uh, we've had to make three, if you like, substantial arrangement changes. Uh, we introduced uh, grade, grading changes and approaches changes in September to GCSEs, uh, further changes to A-level uh, in December. And up until the 6th of January, we were planning on running January examinations. So as an organization, we were fully prepared for the delivery of those examinations on the 11th of January. And then came the cancellation of examinations. The cancellation of examinations, obviously, um, in, in response to the surrounding health situation and health decision, informed decision uh, by the executive. So SIA has just had to be nimble and diversify and change the way it works but it does place an awful um, strain um, on the organization and i recognize more importantly that those changes do place uh, strain on young people because they want certainty in terms of how examinations are proceeding um, i would like to also uh, pass my thanks to particularly teachers and schools who have worked with us throughout those changes and engaged with us through the process uh, as we've adopted and amended and adapted to the situation as it's emerged, but it, it has been with significant challenge. Okay, thanks Thanks for that. Um, can I ask just straightforward question? Um, why, why not just use the, the same approach from last year in terms of center assessed grading, obviously without the, the algorithm um, this year? I think that um, where we are now in comparison to last year is different. Uh, in last year, when the cancellation took place and it was on the 20th of March, 2020, significant parts of controlled assessment and learning had taken place without disruption. Uh, we find ourselves now in a place this year where disruption has occurred for schools and for young people. And that disruption isn't uniform. Each school has had a different experience each group of young people has had a different experience um, from the pandemic and from the impact of the pandemic. And so we had to build flexibility into the approach for this year. In addition, we want to ensure that confidence and public confidence are retained in regards to the grades. And I think in discussion with this committee before and actually some of the points that some of the members have made before, the importance of ensuring that uh, that those grades and the confidence in those grades are attained so that when children receive them, um, they have, have confidence in their future lives and future uses of those grades. And if those grades are attached back to the evidence that they are performing at the standard, that issues even more confidence to the young people in terms of the grades that they've received. 
Thanks, Justin. Um, we, we took evidence from the Secondary Student Union of Northern Ireland who referred to some pupils facing an assessment blitz in coming weeks. Can I ask uh, who, if anyone, is monitoring the extent to which pupils are being assessed on their return to school? It's certainly not our intent that any young person would face an assessment blitz over these coming weeks. In our guidance, we're very keen that assessment that has been completed through the course of study is considered, and that evidence is considered as part of the range of evidence that assessment should really focus on the areas that schools have been able to teach their young people where it is brought forward. And an assessment blitz, as, as cited uh, in that evidence that you received, doesn't serve any purpose for young people. We recognise that young people in some cases are only back to school on Monday and in other cases aren't back to school just yet. And really, school should be about the learning opportunity. And what we wouldn't wish is that over-assessment has detrimental impact on that learning opportunity during this time as well. We are working with centres. Uh, we are engaging with principals on a regular basis in large numbers across the entire post-primary sector, answering their questions, giving them clarity, and also giving them guidance and steer towards where the assessment burden should lie and how to take that forward, that assessment burden. And we're monitoring the information that they're able to provide back to us. But at the same time, we're allowing the flexibility at the individual school level because of the experience that they've had through the pandemic. Okay, one last last for me, and I bring members in. One constructive suggestion we received, um, and I don't know whether this is in place or not, but uh, obviously you've just provided subject guidance, um, and that level of interaction, uh, you know, aside from principal interaction, may be important as well. So we we received a request: would it be possible for SIA to put in place named SIA support staff for each centre? Well, we've, we've always provided support on the basis of subject support. We have subject specialists who have an understanding of that subject in detail. They've supported those curriculum areas for years, and they have a strong relationship with the subject teachers in schools, readily contacted, readily uh, through email or telephone, and they have relationships. Uh, and as I said, those subject teachers will understand uh, who those subject officers are, I think it's important to retain, where possible, um, the strong relationship between subject officers and subject teachers in schools and providing clarity. But in addition, this year, we've also um, built uh, relationships with the Education Authority and CCMS, who are also, I'm delighted to say, are supporting us in the process. And they're providing schools with overarching support, direct at a centre level, and then working directly back with us. So schools have, if you like, lateral support, in terms of uh, applying their, their guidance and their policy, but also have subject-specific support coming from SIA. Okay. Uh, so many other questions, but I need to bring in Deputy Chairperson Pat Sheehan, MLA. Thank you, Chair. Uh, and thanks to witnesses uh, for their uh, presentation this morning. Um, the Irish medium sector, Justin, faces particular challenges uh, under normal circumstances, but in the context of the pandemic and assessment and examinations and so on, those problems become even more acute. 
And my understanding is that there is no Irish medium coordinator in SIA at the minute. And that, again, must heap uh, more challenges on the Irish medium sector. What's being done to address those problems? Um, frankly, I, um, find, I find that uh, in terms of Irish medium support, we do have a whole team of Irish medium support workers who are working directly with Irish medium, both schools and also um, uh, other providers in terms of the support. We have a support working program with an Irish medium program board, which has a full agreement of the program work that we'll take forward with the Irish medium sector. The materials that we're supplying to the system have been translated into Irish. We are working directly with schools at the moment who will require assessment. Sorry, just, just, just on particular point, sorry sorry for cutting across you, just on, on the issue of translation. I have had some complaints from Irish medium schools who believe that some of the material that has been supplied to them was translated on Google Translate. Is there is there any truth in that? We, we have dedicated Irish language translators who have worked for a number of years and in fact have international reputation for the quality of their work. Um, in terms of Irish translation. So I would find it surprising if they were using Google Translate. Um, I think that uh, wherever that source is from, I'm, I'm happy for them to engage with our Irish medium team. But certainly from our perspective, we have a strong relationship with the Irish medium sector and a strong translation capability. Okay, and, and just for clarification, is there an Irish medium coordinator in SIA? There is an Irish medium coordinator, an Irish medium project board, um, which has all the Irish medium team engaged directly with the Irish medium sector. And in fact, uh, Margaret, who is on this call, takes as director of education a serious in, um, interest and attends the Irish medium program board. I have engaged personally with the Irish medium sector over recent years um, on issues relating to both qualifications and support materials that they require. We take our role and relationship with the Irish medium sector very seriously. Okay, thanks for that. And and just moving on in terms of assessments of awards, and I, I you, you'll be aware that I asked you this question uh, at our informal meeting in regard to how SIA carries out its assessments of the of the awards that have been given by by teaching staff. Um, SIA doesn't actually assess every individual case but rather uh, would take a sampling from each particular cohort. Is that the way it works? Could you explain that? Yes, we'd be delighted. Um, in terms of the process, schools will arrive at their centre-determined grade using an internal moderation process, and we've outlined how schools should consider and take that forward in our guidance to centres. Following that and following the submission of the grade, SEA will ask for a minimum of one specification per centre and for the evidence in that specification to be submitted to us. We will take evidence from candidates at individual grades across the spectrum of grades that will be awarded uh, by that centre in that specification. And we will look at the evidence and the process by which the centre arrived at its judgments. It will be a sample-based approach because it's not possible for SEER to sample every candidate or to review every candidate. We have to place trust in the teaching profession 
that if they are applying a process and are approached consistently, and our sample-based review demonstrates that, then we have to have the assumption that that school is applying that across the range of work that they are moderating and standardising themselves. Okay, and uh, again, and this would probably apply more to GCSE students rather than A-level students, uh, and, and I accept that uh, a student moving into study A-levels may be moving into a completely new subject, and there may be no evidence of uh, how they have performed in that particular subject. But let's take, for example, a scenario where a student uh, who would be due to sit GCSEs this year for one reason or another relating to the pandemic, whether it be mental health issues, uh, lack of access to IT devices or online learning or so on, uh, has, has fallen behind uh, and, and doesn't have any evidence this year uh, of, of their performance. But their performance in previous years, and I know you're not using historical data for this, uh, but their teacher, in their professional judgment, is aware that this student has been, for example, a, an A-star student for the previous four years. Uh, it, it seems unfair, and you can correct me on this, uh, Justin, if I'm wrong, that their previous year's uh, evidence or evidence of their work from the previous four years would not be taken account of in and 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 uh, awarding uh, a, a result for this particular year. So I suppose just to, to summarize, some students might be penalized as a result of how they have been affected by the pandemic. Um, in, in answer to that, it's our position, it's in our guidance that evidence that uh, must be used, must be at the level of the qualification being graded, and it must be generated during the teaching period of that specification. For a GCSE student, that is normally a two-year period. So we would allow evidence to be drawn from over that two years of the specification. And in A-level, we've also set out that AS evidence may be considered a long time alongside the A2 evidence. We would hope with that degree of flexibility, and given that that is a 24-month period for most learners, not a 12-month period, that there is opportunity to gather evidence, even in the most extreme circumstances of disruption. But the evidence has to be tied back to the specification and the teaching period of specification. And if there is no evidence, and there's no evidence on which to base a judgment, there's no potential opportunity to provide a grade in that scenario. But as I said before, the flexibility afforded with inside the system should allow candidates to come forward with evidence in even the most extreme circumstances. Okay, thanks for that. Thank you, Chair. Thanks, Pat. Can I bring in Robin Newton, MLA, please? Uh, thank you, Chair, and uh, welcome, Mr. O'Reilly, and congratulate him on his appointment. Um, uh, welcome, Justin and, and Margaret. Uh, I have to say I, I, I very much agree with uh, what Mr. O'Reilly said in his opening remarks that we do need to uh, challenge the myths uh, that are out, out there on, on the assessment pro process. But can I uh, maybe, and it is to continue this theme of, you know, making sure that all students 
are being treated uh, fairly. Um, and indeed that within the uh, centre-determined grades that they're reached on a uh, on, a, on an objective and an unbiased assessment of, of, of the evidence. Uh, and maybe uh, Justin or Margaret would make some uh, comments around that, but indeed also to make sure uh, that particularly where there are um, youngsters, and this, this, uh, this committee has always taken a very uh, supportive role of those students who are facing uh, disability challenges and to make sure that... Uh, their access to assessment uh, and uh, that their needs are, are being met as the assessment process uh, is underway. And then finally, ar around the area where uh, there is illness uh, at, at the time of examinations, which may be, may be associated with the situation that we have uh, been through. And there seems to be a uh, major concern about the mental health uh, of pupils in the return uh, to school. So maybe if if Justin or Margaret could make some uh, comments around those three areas. If uh, thank you very much for the question. If I may start with the last question, maybe I'll hand over to Margaret to explain uh, the other parts of the process. But certainly, if there is a case that a young person, because of health issues, is disrupted from taking an assessment or part of an assessment that the school would normally count towards the portfolio of evidence. We've built that into the arrangements and in those circumstances, the centre may wish to consider other evidence that that candidate has been able to produce or adapt or may have to, in some um, significant cases, reduce the amount of evidence for that particular candidate. Again, we built this flexibility in because it's proven very difficult to predict even now, the impact of COVID on young people or the impact of COVID on schools. So that flexibility is built with inside that. And if it's okay, I'll hand over to Margaret for the, the other question, which I think was around bias and fairness across the decision-making. Yeah, okay. Thanks, Justin. And thanks, Robin, for the question. Um, yes, yeah, so I think um, at a previous committee uh, session, uh, Justin and colleagues presented the five-step process that we're using this year to support centres uh, to ensure that the alternative grading approach this year um, is as straightforward as possible and provides guidance on ensuring that the grades awarded are as fair and, and as consistent as can be, whilst allowing all that flexibility um, that we've just discussed. Um, and, and you might remember those steps, but a lot of the steps involve um, SEER colleagues providing as much support and guidance as we can. Um, so we've got the head of centre guidance, which is quite comprehensive this year, uh, which talks about you know, issues around unconscious bias. Um, we've presented uh, additional templates this year to it, try and encourage um, good practice. Um, we also um, issued the CIEA training um, to cover important aspects around um, bias. Again, you know, to, to support um, teachers and leaders in terms of how they would embark upon the exercise um, this year. And we've got the ongoing support um, that's running throughout the period. Um, so we're holding the fortnightly principal update sessions, uh, which are really helpful in terms of getting feedback on issues that, that teachers 
um, have queries on. Uh, we're also updating our very detailed technical questions and answers as questions come in, as uh, usually very useful questions come in, and it's helpful to share them with the whole um, principal community. Um, so we certainly intend to continue with that approach. So I hope, I hope that helps reassure you that um, there is a lot of support in place, I think, to support the alternative grading approach this year. Can I just ask you, Margaret, in terms of the meeting with the principals, uh, how often is that happening and how widespread is it? Uh... Yeah, okay, thanks, Robin. Yes, we've set them up on a fortnightly basis, so they happen every fortnight. Um, on occasion, we, we've had to adjust them and, and have them weekly, um, but on the whole, they happen fortnightly. Um, we had one yesterday, and we, we had, I think, just over 190 um, principles. So usually we're in the 170 territory. Um, so, you know, we're getting really good engagement in those sessions. Okay. Uh, could I ask you, in terms of the pupils, uh, as I said, the, the, the committee has taken a very strong supportive role for those uh, pupils with special educational needs uh, and then they, uh, and the, the S SEM pupils actually gaining access to, to centres and so on. Um, what arrangements are being made for that to happen? Um, yeah, so again, I think because the approach this year um, is designed to be as flexible as possible, um, you know, centres can um, use assessments that they see as most appropriate for their students. So students that might have special educational needs, for example, um, the usual access arrangements that take place every year um, still apply. Um, and we've provided um, guidance on that in our head of centre guidance document in the technical questions and answers. Um, and it's a theme um, that we also cover in the principal um, update sessions. Um, so, so we did cover it yesterday, actually. And, and from the feedback, um, you know, I hope principals feel uh, supported on this area. And then we're providing um, modified papers in, in the normal way in terms of all of the additional assessment resources that we're making available uh, this year. Okay. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Thanks, Robin. Can I bring in Daniel McCrossan, MLA? Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, uh, good to see you, Margaret uh, and Justin and Tommy. Welcome to uh, your your new role. Congratulations! Uh, uh, you, you certainly certainly many challenges, but I'm sure you'll be uh, you, you'll enjoy them. You'll rise to them. Um, Justin, I'm not sure if this is your last meeting with us, but just in case it is, I wish you well for the future. Uh, and and, and um, uh, you'll be missed from the department. I know we've had a run-ins, but or from Zeb, I know we've had a run-ins and our challenges with COVID. But um, I, I've always found you very accommodating, and I appreciate that very, very much. Uh, to go to a few questions, Chair, um, your guidance to schools concerning awarding for GCSE, AS and A-level states, each centre determined grade must be a realistic evidence-based judgment of the standard at which a student is performing. In the context of the specification they have covered, in this way, disruption to teaching and learning can be taken into account. 
by conceding that only the specification covered will be taken into account when determining a grade. CA has indeed gone uh, some way towards mitigating against disruption to teaching and learning, but your solution is only a partial one. It is widely recognised that distance learning uh, disadvantages some groups of young people more than others. Just considering uh, the specification covered does, uh, does not take this into account. So that's it. What other mitigations have uh, CA made available or will make available to teachers to ensure our young people get grades and are fair, that are fair to them in the unevenly disruptive circumstances of the pandemic? And secondly, there is also a problem concerning the assessment of skills. The NI curriculum is skills-based. Do you not agree that the disruption of learning has resulted in a lack of time to develop the very skills that are supposed to be measured? Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I, I missed some of the, the second part of the, the question, so I may, I may return to that. But in the first part of the question, it was about uh, adaptation. So with inside the approach that we are taking, there is a high degree of mitigation for the disruption faced at both an individual level, but also at a centre level. And when I say centre level, I mean a, a school basis level. And the the idea being that we are asking schools, they are fully aware of what they have been able to teach and what they have been able to cover in terms of the specification and the curriculum. And we recognize that given the disruption that they faced, whilst there are many teachers out there striving to cover as much of the specification as possible to ensure that learners are adequately prepared for their next step in their educational journey, some of the time available is reduced and so they can only cover some of those elements. Where they can only cover those elements, we're asking them to adapt assessment or adapt coverage, keeping a record of that, but actually assessing on what they've been able to talk. That flexibility can be taken down to an individual level, as I described in the, in the previous question, where you have learners through no fault of their own uh, have been unable to participate in a particular item of assessment that would contribute towards the evidence base for the overall grade. I think that underneath that as well, we've also made considerations of special educational needs and access arrangements, which are outlined also in our guidance to schools. And as Margaret said, was covered with school principals yesterday. So this is a high degree of flexibility, recognizing the high degree of ununiform disruption that our schools and our young people have faced. I think that the second point, Daniel, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you asked a question about coverage of skills and content with inside the Northern Ireland curriculum, which is separate perhaps from the examinations component yeah. in, it, yeah. in itself. Um, SIA has, throughout the, throughout the pandemic, identified through our website as part of the wider supported learning program with the Department of Education, a range of content and support materials that can be used in both the home environment but also back into the return of face-to-face -face teaching that allows young people to develop the broad range of skills that the Northern Ireland curriculum offers. And Northern Ireland does have the benefit of its unique approach in terms of the Northern Ireland curriculum, encouraging things like creativity, thinking skills, and working with others. And elements of that is, uh, are contained within inside our website. Beyond the support for the curriculum and examinations and assessment, um, the responsibility for the delivery does remain with inside the schools, but I know that they've received support from the Education Authority, from CCMS, from engagement from a broad range of Department of Education services as well. And perhaps the committee wants to touch on those with those bodies um, because uh, I can only cover the elements this year. And just on a, on a final note, thank you very much, Daniel, for your kind comments at the start. Then. 
thank thank you, Justin, for that. Uh, appreciate those answers. Just just a money because the chair is going to be coming out uh, uh, coming at me soon. The level of evidence required by CEA of schools is causing significant disquiet among teachers. Now I've said this to the minister yesterday. Uh, while you suggest that work completed at home is acceptable, you also tell us uh, that it is of limited use and strongly recommend the use of your assessment resources completed under conditions that CA describes as high control conditions. And I've seen the, the chart. This uh, many parents and young people understand many uh, parents and young people understand this to be a, a exam by stealth, and that seems to be the perception. That's not me being. Uh, anyways, it, it, people do feel that young people do feel that they're inundated with exams. So, with that said, do you accept that the level of control you describe as high in Appendix Five of your guidance is a very close match to an exam, particularly if one of your assessment resources is being used? Well, thank you, Thad. And I think it's uh, I think it's unfortunate that maybe we're focusing on one or two pages within inside the guidance. Maybe if I take opportunity to focus on some of the other pages and, and draw attention to those. Um, particularly bottom of page seven, we say we appreciate that decisions were taken in October and December in respect to unit emissions, and we acknowledge the disruption as well to teaching and learning. And it may mean that in the event of that context, certain content can't be covered and assessment resources need to be adapted. And that's all assessment resources. And you're quite right. In page nine, we set out some examples. And at the bottom of page eight, it says some examples of evidence unnoted in the table. That's not all the evidence, but that is some examples of evidence. And within inside the evidence, we refer to a range of evidence that a school, as examples, may use. So performance in class tests uh, should provide a good uh, form of evidence. The idea of using SEER past papers could be incorporated into exercises or work that is covered, and we would accept that as well. Mock examinations, which have already been completed by many learners throughout the disruption, is also available and can be considered. Performance in class assessments taken throughout their studies can form a basis of strong evidence, but might be supplemented by other forms of evidence. And we also do recognize that work that has been conducted at home during times of lockdown can be used. We do in the guidance give um, a, a view about making sure that uh, teachers and schools have an idea that that is the candidate's own work uh, and that is taken forward on their own work, but we do afford that flexibility with inside it. I think you refer to then the table in terms of the submission, and we are only asking for a record of high, medium or low control so that the schools have an understanding of the risks associated with low control document and they're not considering that on its own unless there are exceptional circumstances where young people have been so severely disrupted. So hopefully that gives a full extent of the case. And again, I go back to Tommy's um, statement at the start. It's really about myth busting around the flexibility that's afforded with inside this guidance. Yeah, I appreciate that. There is uncertainty and it's important we get as much clarity and in fairness, the minister and yourself is providing that in the last number of days. Do you accept that, and this has come from schools, do you accept that recommending the use of, unquote, evidence generated recently, end of quote, places significant strain on schools? I think that in that, that statement, what we're saying is that schools may find more value in evidence generated towards the end of the programme. The reason being is that the end of the program, the learner has covered more content and knowing that children are returning to schools and gathering with face-to-face -face teaching and the support from their teachers, which they have missed. And, and we know that that has been outlined by yourselves uh, and this committee, that face-to-face -face teaching does have that support. 
it does provide an opportunity to cover more elements of the curriculum. But it doesn't mean to say that we accept that that is the only place where assessment, as I said before to an earlier answer, we accept evidence across the range of the teaching program, and that's the full two years, if it's a full year taught of the part of the program as well. So again, perhaps misunderstanding, and hopefully I've provided the clarity there. Yeah, and just chair if you're looking for any points. We've got 10 um, minutes left for, for two numbers, Daniel, so it needs to be a final question. Yeah, yeah. Do, 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 Justin, appreciate your answers for it. Do you not think that uh, for young people to return to school just before Easter uh, and then face multiple high control conditions, assessments uh, as placing them in a very stressful circumstances uh, with which little regard for well-being has been given? As I said before, I think that our intent is to find, um, to work with centres to ensure that they are finding good pieces of evidence. We would not wish to see over-assessment here. That's not the intent of the guidance. We would like to see good, well-thought-through uh, items of evidence that can be brought through a, a, in terms of the grids and the supplies to us, and also consideration and assessment across the range of the programme. But I, I've, I've mentioned the point before, my view is we need to avoid over-assessment and actually also take the opportunity to not disrupt teaching and learning, because learning is what school is about. Thanks, Thank, you. Thank you. Thanks, Justin. Uh, I'm sure you'll miss Daniel just as much as he'll miss you, Justin. Um, can I bring uh, Nicola Brogan, MLA, in, please? Thank you, Chair, and thanks, Tommy, Justin, and Margaret. Um, today's evidence and the session yesterday I found really um, beneficial. There's a lot to get your head around, so I feel sorry for the teachers having to do that, but I appreciate your time and for explaining it to us. I have a few questions here. I'll uh, go through them quickly. Um, first of all, what advice would you give parents or students who um, aren't happy with the options that the school has afforded them, or a, like the evidence choices? So um, I know some people have been have been contacted by a number of students who wanted to use um, work that they have done when working from home, or sorry, like learn like when they were learning from home you know um but now when asked to set assessments so what kind of advice would you give them how can they appeal that at this stage um in our guidance we've set out that centers are developing their assessment policy um our teaching workforce in northern ireland as we've set out before is a highly professional workforce with a strong understanding of assessment arrangements but importantly they have the best understanding of what has been taught throughout the course of study and what has been covered with the young people and how best to assess that and so in the first instance particularly for consistency across the group of young people in that school or the cohort in the school the place of the starting point is with the teacher and with the school in determining how to bring forward the evidence on that basis. Underneath that, though, I would outline that there will be cases or there may be cases where an individual young person is disrupted, as I answered to a previous question, is disrupted by a situation who maybe wasn't able to participate in, let's say, for example, a mock that the school has decided that it wishes to use. And in those circumstances, the school may deviate from its sender-based approach because it's taken a, a particular understanding of the consequences of, say, for example, the pandemic on that learner or the disruption in regards to their participation in that assessment. But that is, that is exceptional circumstances rather than norm where the centre really should set out its approach to assessment. 
Okay, fair enough, Justin, thank you. Um, one final point, you really had brought this up at the beginning of um, this briefing, but can you maybe outline how you think this awarding system will impact future prospects um, of our students today, maybe with um, university places, um, employment opportunities, and even possible stigma around how the um, grades are being awarded? Thank you very much for the question. I think throughout this process, and we, we have engaged with universities and colleges, for example, um, throughout this process, I think everybody is understanding of the extreme and difficult circumstances that young people are facing, the challenges that schools are facing, and the need to adapt um, based on the decisions that have to be taken by the Northern Ireland Executive to protect the public. We need to adapt our system in order to achieve grades and awards for young people. And so they have an understanding of the grades and awards associated for this year. But I want to go back to the point I made earlier that grades and awards are based on the evidence of the, the standard of which the young person is performing. And those grades and awards can be traced back to that evidence uh, where the schools are making their centre-determined grades and submitting those to SEER. So I think we can gain confidence from the fact that this is a grade awarded by the standard at which the young person is performing and representative of the standard at which that young person is performing against the specification. So from our perspective, the grades will have value going forward. They are grades of an A-level or a GCSE in the cases that we're talking about. Um, they will be certified as such and the young person will come away with a certificate with that grade awarded wherever the evidence is available and we've been provided with a sentence determined grade. Thanks for that, Justin. Um, I definitely agree with you and I'm pleased to hear that there. And I think that's something we all should focus on, um, is that the, the, to focus on the value behind them. So thanks for clarifying that as well. Um, thank you, Chair. Thanks, Nicola. Can I bring in Justin McNulty, MLA, thanks. Thanks, Chair. Thanks, Tommy, Justin and Margaret. Tommy, congratulations on your appointments. Um, can you tell me, guys, what, what, what were the lessons learned from last year in terms of the awarding mechanisms and how have they been introduced into this year's awarding mechanisms? Well, thank you very much, Justin, um, for the question. Uh, as I outlined to the committee previously, obviously there was an independent report uh, and review of the 2020 process, which came forward with a number of recommendations. Um, one of the key ones, and I think I outlined this to the committee before, uh, was continuous engagement, um, that we had to have engagement with stakeholders. We had a little more time uh, in this process to undertake that engagement with key stakeholders. And as was outlined by the chair, uh, my chair, uh, Tommy O'Reilly, in his opening remarks, uh, we have had engagement with school principals, um, with teaching unions, with representative bodies. Uh, I've had several wonderful engagements over this past year with the uh, youth panel of the Children's Commission and I have to say very insightful thoughts from, from young people always prompting our, our thinking and our approach um, and we've taken that forward in terms of designing and amending this approach but also continually engaging, providing feedback, clarification, updates as we have progressed. I think that the other lesson was that uh, the report did say a, an element of moderation needed to take place. That moderation needed to be based on student evidence, that the, the apex needed to go back to student evidence and individual student evidence. And that is built into the heart of this process. Student evidence against the specification for which they're studying 
during their taught program of learning. And we have built that into this process as well. And I think that uh, the third element of learning is keep coming back to communication, particularly to young people and parents as we progress through this. And we are building up student guides and we've run that past the Children's Commission Youth Panel recently to ensure that there is broader public understanding of these alternative approaches as we are implementing them. Okay, excellent. So that continuous engagement has ensured a degree of uh, support from teachers in terms of the assessments that they're going to have to undertake for their classes. Continuous engagement is not without its challenges. This is an alternative arrangement developed again, still in rapid time over a short and compressed period of time, ensuring that we address misunderstandings or again come back to Tommy O'Reilly's uh, opening remarks of myths and uh, we provide clarity around those as we roll out this process is really important that uh, we settle any uh, individual technical questions with principals. It needs to be ongoing and it will be ongoing throughout this process, but it has paid dividends. And one example of that, and the committee is aware of this, is that we received feedback from teachers immediately after our release and were able to make a small change um, in terms of our guidance that alleviated burden off teachers. Uh, recognising the pressure and strains that they're under in terms of returning uh, young people to the classroom. And so that small change was immediately enacted just from the feedback and engagement that we've had. Okay. Um, sports query, in terms of PE, for the, you know, the element which is physical, as assessed as physical, where kids have not been able to develop their sporting prowess because there hasn't been any sports, there's been a lockdown, they have me on the pitch, they have me on the court have been practicing at the same level that they could have been potentially. How, how is that going to be assessed? Again, that comes back to adaptation um, in terms of the assessment against what can be taught and what can be can be completed with inside the school environment. Um, it, it, in terms of individual subjects, we have released and they are on our website now, so the sport A-level guidance is there. We have, um, we have been in a position where we've been able to provide uh, advice at the subject level for sports. And in the, in the sports category, we are saying that assessment can still be made in these elements, um, should they so wish, and those grades and those components still submitted. But at the same time, we recognize that adaptations and expectations of that assessment need to be reduced because, as you say, maybe the young people just haven't been able to participate in the sport of their choice at this point in time, and, and they'll have to form other basis evidence. But I would refer PE or sports science uh, teachers to that subject guidance, which is on our website. I'd be interested to see what data that there is as a consequence of lockdown, the impact that, that actually has on the kids' uh, physical abilities and sporting abilities. Um, and just on that, in terms of children and young people, You've talked about continuous engagement. To what level have you continuously engaged with them? Um, always uh, throughout, throughout this process, and, and particularly over the last year, um, I've always found um, great value in the youth panel of the Children's Commissioner. Um, and the Children's Commissioner and her team have been very facilitating in allowing my staff uh, to access that panel um, undergo questions and scrutiny by the youth panel, which is correct, but also be able to gather feedback or be able to gather points um, throughout all that. And that has been constructive engagement throughout the different changes that we have we have had to make. We do need to keep those doors open uh, to young people 
uh, as they progress through this um, and as schools start to implement these policies and arrangements and understand that. We actually engaged, I believe, with the children's uh, youth panel last Friday, where we were asking them for their views on our student uh, guidance and our student communication on this alternative arrangement. Okay, um, but you haven't had any direct uh, communication with the actual children and young people? No, the, the youth panel is, is constituted of, of children and young people. Okay, okay, good, good. Um, any question, they, they um, talked about an algorithm. There is no algorithm in this arrangement this year. Good. Thank you very much, Justin. Thank you all. Take care. Thanks. Thank you, uh, Justin McNulty. Um, thanks, uh, Justin Edwards and, and Margaret Farhar. I, I think with Tommy, uh, we've lost Tommy here as well. But uh, Justin, um, is is this the last meeting you'll be with us then? Is that dates confirmed that, or do we have time to bring you back uh, one one more time on appeals uh, mechanisms? Um, Chris, unless you have an interest in me returning to the committee next week. Um, uh, I, I suspect it may be my last engagement uh, with okay. the Assembly Committee, and that's after uh, a six and a half year period. Okay, well, look, I, I think I've engaged with you over the course of my tenure at, um, in further education sector as, as well as in, in CSO. So thank you for your, your service in that regard. As I acknowledged with Department of Education officials previously, we obviously have a statutory role to scrutinize, uh, hold to account and support, but uh, it would be remiss of all of us to not give uh, some acknowledgement to the extreme circumstances in which um, you have all worked uh, in the last uh, year. So uh, thank you for your service um, across your tenure and, and in, in the year uh, that has passed particularly, and obviously that extends to all your colleagues as well. Um, I think appeals um, is is an important issue that we will need to return to, but as you say, thankfully, that may not be your responsibility at that stage. <laughs> okay, folks, thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. I could ask uh, the Assembly Broadcasting uh, to bring members back into the spotlight and bear with me for five minutes to, uh, for the clerk to summarise any actions and just two very table items. Clerk? Um, thank you, Chair. Um, so the main item is really for the for SIA to come back um, to the committee as soon as possible about the appeals um, arrangements when they are bottomed out. And as we've just heard, that won't be um, Justin Edwards. Um, uh, one of the other um, main uh, findings, I think, from the engagement that we've had with for the last over the last couple of days is the significant communications exercise that it's been doing with stakeholders in producing all of this guidance, and that was reflected in the union feedback. Um, and they also mentioned today engagement with the Nikki Youth Panel, and um, so I think those are constructive things that the committee might want to recognise. Um, and also, it's very welcome that SEA wants to avoid overassessment. Um, so that schools can focus um, on learning. Um, the uh, other overarching thing um, then that it might be worth revisiting and writing is just, you know, is it the judgment of CEO that these arrangements are the best effort to secure pupils' future prospects? Um, okay. Yeah, Clark, can we maybe just add, can we, can we write to the minister and ask 
to if anyone is monitoring the extent of assessment. The minister said everyone has, has verbally said that they don't wish to see over-assessment. And yet, as a number of members have alluded to, that doesn't stack up with every every sentence in the guidance that has been issued. So if the commitment is to avoid over-assessment, is, is somebody somewhere doing some sort of monitoring of, of, the, of the extent to which pupils are being assessed? So maybe we could ask that of the Minister then. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Um, Chair, there were just uh, in the tabled items then, um, a lot of the material had to do with the SIA uh, presentation, so members will have um, had, had reference to that already. Um, but just in terms of um, uh, correspondence, there is a set of um, regulations that were laid this week, um, statutory instruments about coronavirus, and just for members' information, there's a grid on top of those um, where you can see the effect of each of them and the time period. Um, for which they will endure, and those are in respect of the phased uh, return to schools and um, arrangements for uh, provide, provision of school meals or financial payments or food packages, as the case may be, um, in certain circumstances, and also phased uh, return of youth services. Um, and the other item of correspondence I just want to um, address, which is tabled, we wrote, the committee wrote last week to um, the chairperson of the EA board about a social media post um, uh, that had uh, given offence. Um, the EA, the chairperson confirms that he met directly with the board member and that the, the matter has been addressed and the EA board apprised. Advice on the code of conduct and compliance with SEAN has been discussed and the chairperson has accepted on balance that the code has not been breached in this instance. So just, I don't know if members have got um, actions on the basis of that or if they're content with that response. I think, I think one action is to forward that on to the health committee as well then. I think the health committee had, had raised that issue with us. Members sure. content with that. Thank you, Chair. Can I check it? Items and table items. Uh, what page is that, uh, Clark? Page 22 of the table item, Page 22 of table items. Clark has referred to it in detail, though, uh, um, is in relation to concerns about uh, conversion therapy um, and a, a referral from the Health Committee for us to raise the matter with the Education Authority. They had responded previously with a uh, a non-detailed response, so we've gone back to request a more detailed response, and, and that's what is in our table packs today. Members are content we can forward that to the health committee. Okay. Content? Okay. A any other business, Clark, or members? Happy Easter. No, no other business members? Okay. Yeah, happy, happy Easter, members. Um, We'll have a, a, an ongoing packed forward work program as discussed earlier today. Um, thanks for your, your patience for an extremely lengthy committee today, but uh, as, as per usual, on an extremely important range of issues. So thank you, members. The meeting goes now adjourned. Bye.
This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 29. This is the Northern 